Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Hope you had an awesome long weekend. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson and Michael Remus with you. Should be a great show. Lots to get to surrounding the 8-0 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Brilliant, brilliant win in Calgary against a very good Stampeder squad on the weekend. Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation is going to jump on. We'll talk about the Bombers' big win, as well as all the rest of the action in the Canadian Football League. And we'll get JD's thoughts on an upcoming game for the Blue and Gold just two days from now on Thursday night in Montreal. Another part of this really, really tough first half schedule for the Blue and Gold. Um, they'll complete their first half without a bye Thursday night against Montreal, then come back for a game the following Thursday at home against the Alouettes before taking their first bye of the season. But 8-0, it is the big story of the day, really of the weekend. We'll be all over that. And then Jeff Hamilton as well. And obviously we'll get into a quite a bit of Bomber and CFL talk with Hammer Love to say we'd get into uh, some Jets talk, but I'm not sure how long we can stretch out a conversation on the signing of Leon Gavanka. Uh, although he did resign with the Winnipeg Jets. He, we'll see whether he gets through waivers that next year if he does, in fact, get signed. Um, so, hey, first things first, welcome to everyone in on the program. And thanks to all of our sponsors that make this show happen each and every day including Aikens Lake, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Royal Sports, Canadian Club, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, BP, Assiniboy Downs, and Cool Bet Canada. All right, let's uh, welcome everybody in live on YouTube. Shout out to you all. Make sure you've hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. And join us every day, Monday to Friday, here at 1.00. And of course, to everyone listening on the podcast, if you ever have the opportunity to uh, pop into Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star rating and a review. Always appreciate you helping us grow the channel. Let's get Remus in here. Remo, what's up? How was the weekend? How was the big party? Yeah, big, long weekend. I was stressing all weekend. It was my son's. We had a birthday party for him yesterday. He turned three today. And the pre-party anxiety has very real. But it went very well, and big shout out to Nick from DQ who hooked us up with a with a dinosaur cake. I'll uh, put that Whoa. up later. Yeah, big big cake from Nick. Big DQ dinosaur ice cream cake. cake. Love it. Now, him. give me a quick idea, but because this is something that's very foreign to me. Mm -hmm. What anxiety does one have before a bunch of three year olds invade to eat a DQ dinosaur cake and have fun? I mean. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, uh, oh no, what do you mean? Planning, making sure you have all the stuff. Are people going to show up? Are they going to have fun? Is the weather going to cooperate? Do we have the right, <laughs> the right things? People going to have a good time. What I were mean, the activities? What were uh, the activities? Bouncy castle. Oh, that's always a hit. Uh, that's always a hit. Water table. I had this inflatable pool. What's a water table? Oh, see, so you don't have kids. You don't know. It's like a, like a table. I didn't know about this either. They fill it with water and they have like buckets and stuff and they just like pour it on each other. And you like, it's like a strainer. You pour water in and water comes everywhere. <laughs> it's kids so love you it. Had, so you had your own little mini water park for the kids. Yeah. We had a, a lot of different activities. Yeah. We had cornhole, a lot of stuff. 
Did any of the kids actually participate in cornhole? Was that a parent game? That was uh, well, for older. Older, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, but it went well. Happy birthday to yeah, Evan, I guess. Here, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show you the cake here. I got it up. Got it to yeah, fire it up. This is my weekend. So it was literally like just a lot of a lot of pre-party anxiety. So here, there it is. Nick Nick did this up. Oh, shout out to DQ Nick. There it is. So. Hard to believe the little guy's three years old now, man. He's yeah, big. I know. well, and we got to see. Was that Thursday, Friday night? You guys went by the oh, baseball yeah, game, or yeah, was that we, earlier? We went to the uh, Gold Eyes game Friday. A big weekend for the Gold Eyes. A lot of my friends too taking their kids as well. Um, you know, great entertainment. It's kind of funny. Um, I never really taken him to a sporting event before, and he loved all the things like. You know, when they hit a foul ball and then they show, they like play the sound of glass breaking. He's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, glass broke. And then That's the, the Stone Cold Steve Austin music, Evan. And then um, just like little, like he saw Goldie. I don't think he'd ever seen a mascot, really. And he's like, oh, what's that? Who's that big yellow guy? And <laughs> uh, we were trying to go meet him, but he was, bu- he was busy, so we didn't get a chance to. But uh, we had a great time. A lot of food, such as their popcorn, fries, good, good stuff there. I, I, you know, so I went uh, not with a, a three-year-old, but with a few of my Lugan buddies. Yes. Uh, posted up in Craft Beer Corner and did, I mean, I hadn't really eaten all day and we went to town on the concessions. I mean, we almost take for granted how great the food is at the ballpark. Uh, but here were some of the things that myself and my associates took down. The pierogies and farmer sausage, unbelievable. Uh, the Goldie Dog, which you have to get at the very far end of right field. And I know there's been all this hype about the Whistle Dog, which I support. Huge Whistle Dog guy here. The Goldie Dog, though, split dog, bacon, cheese, fried onions. And the bacon on it is phenomenal. So the Goldie Dog wasn't great. Underrated, and this is probably the best value item at the ballpark, Remo, the Taco Time. Uh, yeah, t- saw- tacos, tacos, however you want to pronounce that. I think you bumped into us just as we had got I saw the tacos. You there. Taco time's very underrated. Um, it's pretty good. So three fifty, three fifty for the beef taco, and it was it was phenomenal. I mean, that was Balls's decision. He just went and grabbed a round of tacos. We ate them. I left going. That's going to be at least once a time. My big disappointment was though. I was going to get the butter chicken. Uh, and I waited too long, and they were closed. So uh, so there you have it. Plenty of amazing things. Oh, and I did have nachos and a junior dog later on in the game as well. So uh, needless to say, we didn't go hungry at the game. Great game as well. I think the Gold Eyes fanned like 16 batters in that game. Um, it was an exciting one. Went right down to the end. Great performance for the local ball team. And I just saw Russ Lowen in chat saying he bumped into IC Drew at the Valor game. I would have missed you there, but I was there as well in the afternoon on Saturday. It was a heater, um, a beautiful afternoon, though, for a game. Again, if you haven't been out to Valor FC, I really recommend you do. And by the way, actually, stick around later on in the program. I'm just realizing that there is a game tomorrow night so we'll do the Wheel of Winners uh, for folks that, you know, maybe you would like to get out and see our soccer team. Um, so we'll do that. Valor's got a bunch of home games over the course of the next little while, I think Wednesday and Sunday. So we've got some tickets for you to go out. I will say this about the game, Reem. 
Balor got jobbed. And I am not a soccer expert by any stretch of the imagination. And yes, this is quite a homer take. But Valor dominated the first half. They scored the first goal. They were comfortably ahead. And in about the 68th minute or thereabouts, um, Valor had it deep in the other team's zone, got around a defender, into the box, and what looked like an ab- completely obvious penalty in the box, which would have given Valor a penalty kick to go up 2 nothing, was not only not called a foul, but a yellow card was given to the Valor forward for diving. Um, I thought that was bogus, but the worst part about it was he had already had a yellow card, so he was out. So instead of Valor kicking to go up 2 nothing, it was one nothing, and all of a sudden they were down to 10 men, and Pacific scored in the 71st and the 73rd minute, a complete flip of the game script, and the team ended up losing, uh, losing by one. But uh, overall, another gorgeous afternoon at the park. Stick around. We've got Valor FC tickets later on. And that was a great primer, Remo, for the main event of the weekend when it came to the local sports scene. And that was getting in front of the tube or throwing on OB and following the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders go at it. That was a heavyweight tilt. What, Honest to God, and I was just doing the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen who called the game. That was one of the best CFL games, certainly in the regular season, I can remember in ages. Um Two, arguably the two best teams in the league, playing near-mistake-free football, no turnovers, no sacks, hardly any penalties, and both teams going toe-to-toe, laying haymakers, haymakers back the other way, and once again, the Bombers just simply refusing to lose, finding a way to get it done. Two touchdowns for Nick Dembski. Two touchdowns for Dalton Schoen. But from my opinion, Reem, and I'll get your take on this, the biggest story of the game was the emergence of the Bomber running game. You want a WST bump? Patty Newfeld and the Bomber offensive line provided that bump. Brady Oliveira was as explosive as he's ever seen. Broke a few big plays. The Bombers ran for 100 yards in the first half. And just like Patty said on the show last week, they would like to establish the run and what that helps them do. They did it against BC on the road. They did it again in another huge, tough spot. Um, That was just another incredible win for a team that just uh, makes what seems so special seem almost normal because we see it every week. Yeah, this... Defense, the or sorry, the offense, the way they can come back in a tight game. Zach, you know he's going to make plays. Finding Dalton shown deep. I was driving home from the beach, listening, uh, listening to the radio, and I heard Derek Taylor's call, and I'm like fist bumping, <laughs> driving, driving in the car. But the story for me, uh, as well as the run game, you know, we talked a lot about Brady Oliveira just wasn't getting the yardage, and you have to give him full credit. Uh, 15 carries, 110 yards, and the run game has really emerged. In the two toughest games of the year, the Calgary game on the road this weekend and the BC game. But I think the defense, when teams get close to the red zone, they don't score touchdowns. And Randy Pereira scoring five for five and them not being able to convert on the what the first three, you know, possessions where they scored field goals. I think that's huge. And the bottom when, you know, you're allowing field goals and then scoring touchdowns, that's a recipe for success. And Zach Close, yeah, four touchdown passes, no picks. Uh, incredible. Nick Dembski, you know, Ed Tate talked about him on Friday. We threw the club up how much, you know, of a, you know, 
interesting uh, part of the offense he brings. You know, he can catch, he can run. Uh, you can do a gadget plays with him. But he caught two touchdowns. And yeah, Dalton's shown he's really emerged. And I thought the other guys, I mean, uh, Rashid Bailey, we've kind of said he got off to a slow start. He's um, came on the last couple of games, five catches on five targets, 55 yards. And Drew Waltarski, I know you had him in DraftKings. Um, he's always he's always there too. And I think he made some big plays as well. Jernigan Grant had the sweep. Mark Leggio hadn't, hadn't uh, had too much to get upset with him lately. So everyone playing well. Uh, incredible. 8-0. Eight, eight oh. uh, you can't beat him. Yeah, special shout out to Drew Olatarski. The biggest play of the game was that third catch of his late in the fourth quarter to put me on top of the showdown contest you did yes. and uh, and sneak that one out. Um, but, I mean, this is just a, an incredible team performance. And, you know, as I said, it's difficult to single out one particular area of the club because, I mean, let's be straight. I mean, to beat the Calgary Stampeders, a team like that, on the road – um, everyone needs to step up. And whether it was the offense, the defense, special teams, everybody was there. Uh, but I have to say, though, the most significant thing for this team going forward, Remo, was what the running game was able to do. And you look at Brady Oliveira's numbers. And, hey, don't let's not forget, I'll own this. I was the guy a week ago watching Andrew Harris go for 10K in the way he was running all over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and thinking – that's the missing piece for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And listen, I think a lot of people have been thinking that because the running game has been somewhat pedestrian, certainly compared to the incredible level that, you know, standard that's been set by Harris over the last little while. Uh, I'm sure Brady Oliveira heard some of that. Uh, I'm sure the guys in the room heard some of that. And while I'm sure they still love Andrew Harris and if he's here with the Bombers, that would be great. Um, the bottom line is if Brady Oliveira and the Bomber offensive line play the way they did against Calgary, they won't need to think about that because that running game will be essentially where it was last year. 15 carries, 110 yards, an average of 7.3. was just about double what he'd had for most of the game so far this season and broke a couple big plays, including a 31-yarder, Raymond. Um, this is big for the team. It's big for the unit, but it's especially big for a young man that's also from Winnipeg, following literally in Andrew Harris's shoes. And those shoes, dare I say, for a surefire Hall of Famer are about the biggest in the history of that position, certainly here in Winnipeg. And, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of pressure on him, but he came through when his team needed it. That was a massive part of that big win on, on uh, Saturday. Yeah, he had some big holes, uh, 31 yards, his longest run of the year. And he hit them with speed. He made guys miss. He did all these things that uh, we weren't sure. I mean, last time against Calgary in week six, he had nine carries and had eight yards. That's point point nine yards per carry. It's pretty uh, pretty poor and uh, 15 carries, 110 yards. And it helps the offense so much when you can do that. It takes pressure off Zach. But even if you saw the end like, of the game, Claris, his pocket presence, how he can move, find open guys, it's absolutely incredible to watch. So... When you have the offense moving on all cylinders um, like they were, and, oh, yeah, they're missing Greg Ellingson and Jackson Jeffcoat. Uh, the Bombers, maybe they played one of their best games, but even when they played their worst game like they did against Edmonton, they still win. So 8-0, they got more wins than the whole East Division combined, or, sorry, maybe just as many now that they had the game, uh, the game Sunday, but still... Uh, what a what a start to the season for them and 
Just uh, should, we, should we just give him the trophy already? Is that is that what Bo Levi <clears throat> Mitchell said? Oh no, he said <clears throat> they they don't hand out the trophy after this. Yeah, well, and that is true. They certainly don't. But that win was massive for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, the Bombers have the head-to-head series against Calgary right now um, for the year. I mean, the only way those teams will play again is if they meet in the playoffs. And I think with how good the BC Lions are this year and what they've been able to do in the head-to-head games coming up, um, the fact that the Bombers are 8-0 right now and you know hopefully can get to handle their business against Montreal the next couple weeks... I mean, we could be in a situation very similar to last year where with three, four games left in the season, the Bombers could essentially have first place locked up. Now, listen, there's a long ways to go for that, and they have to keep on winning. But that tiebreaker over Calgary is massive, um, and they've already got the road win against the BC Lions, so they've certainly put themselves in a great, great spot. And uh, um, we remember about what that West final was like. And even with the Bombers turning the football over five times in the first half, um, you know, the defense was good enough that, uh, you know, for Calgary or BC, the thought of them coming in and beating the Bombers in November, let's just say I like the Bombers' chances. So you get first place. I think there's a very good chance that the Bombers will be making a trip to Regina for the Grey Cup in November and trying to make it three in a row. Um, We'll get to much more on the Canadian Football League in the weekend that was, and the Bombers going to 8-0 with Justin Dunk coming up in a few minutes, and we'll also talk on that with Jeff Hamilton a little later on. Uh, Rima, we'll do our horse picks at the end, but... uh, Big shout out to everyone that was out at the Derby. And I guess a big Barry Horowitz to the two of us. We both picked a winner. And I believe for me, that is two straight years of picking the Derby winner. I will say this the rest of the night, I didn't really do too much, but uh, uh, we got, uh, we got the big red. What was it? Red knobs, red knobs. Yes. And you said to me, Kay, you said to me yesterday afternoon, uh, we should tweet out our, our horse picks. Uh, you know, promote the Derby. And I was like, all right, I'm pretty nervous here about tweeting a pick out because look, I'm not the, I'm my record this year. Isn't that great. But, um, I did some, did some, my own research and, uh, landed on red knobs and I put 10 on red knobs to win. And I was there in my basement watching. I had all the TVs on, um, one of them, you, Cineboy Downs YouTube. And I was there, Going pretty crazy when Red Knobs took the lead at the end. It looked like a huge crowd there. I did also hit Great Escape, who finished second. I had to show. I still, I actually, uh, I was up quite a bit. So, uh, Red Knobs, mm. my new favorite horse. Yeah, that was nice. I, uh, for some reason, I was thinking Red Panda when, uh, and that, of course, do you know who Red Panda is, Reem? That's the, I the, know, Kung Fu Panda. No, Red Panda, that's the lady that goes out at the halftimes of basketball games and kicks the uh, bowls up on top of her head, on top of that, um, it's like on a unicycle, basically. Red Panda. Uh, not familiar. Abs- absolute legendary. In the chat, folks, let people know what's up with the Red Panda. Um, anyways, it was, in fact, Red Knobs. And, uh, but anyways, that was nice. You won two of those. I was close on the other ones. Uh, but a, a positive night for both of us on Derby Day, which was great. I'll tell you what, a big shout out to our friends at Assiniboia Downs. Yesterday was a record day in ASD history. Um, first of all, a great crowd out at the uh, out at the Downs. We saw people, I know Mike Wynn was, went all the way up into the grandstand up at the top. 
and was saying that there was people all the way up there. And now, obviously, they're doing great with the live betting uh, and betting from around the world on the track. Um, but just kind of post-COVID, attendance is not quite what it was in the heyday. That, that wasn't the case last night. Packed in person, which was great to see. But check out these numbers. An all-time record for one race, 374,000 bet on the Derby. Over one, I think 1.5 million spent on the pick five, which had a guaranteed payout yesterday. And over $3.5 million for the day at Assiniboia Downs. All records. So uh, big shout out to Darren Dunn. They've, uh, you know, obviously Darren joined us last week and they've been dealing with a few things there. Um, but uh, a great, great way to uh, send off the biggest day at the track all year long. And um, obviously Manitobans and people from around the world paying attention to what's happening to Cinnaboy Downs and our guy, Red Knobs, taking the Manitoba Derby. Yeah, shout out to uh, Rob Noakes uh, in the chat uh, on the Red Knobs win. Uh, so, Huss, you, you recapped it all. I mean, it was an incredible, it's a long weekend, not a lot of hockey going on, but Friday we had the Gold Eyes, uh, or all weekend really. Saturday, Valor, Bombers. Sunday, we had the Derby, or sorry, Monday. I got my days are all mixed up with this long weekend. But then also you had SummerSlam on UFC on Saturday. Amazing fight with Amanda Nunez. Uh, these those girls were they were killing each other in the ring. And then also Sunday, Ric Flair's last match. So I mean, who well, said you're it's also a slow time? burying the lead? You're also burying the lead here. Which. Tony Finau going back-to-back oh, yeah. back on the PGA Tour and yours truly going back-to-back-to-back to back, to back on the lock shop. The first time ever, three straight winners. Dusty and I are now five of six. Wow. And I, I will tease this because we just did the show. If you'd like to see one of three guys who will win this week's event, the Wyndham Championship, fingers crossed, we just did the picks. Wherever you get your uh, podcast, search Lock Shop, subscribe. And um, we don't have it up on a YouTube channel yet, uh, but you can just go to my Twitter, at Hustlerama. You can see the link, so you can watch it there. Very much looking forward to uh, to that. And, hey, Tony Finau, I was telling Dusty earlier today, I've always been a fan of his because he was the first PGA Tour player to ever come on the warm-up back in the old days. Um, and was one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to, incredibly gracious, and was just really cutting his teeth on the tour at that point. Of course, did play out here in Winnipeg on PGA Tour Canada at some point. That's such a great story and is just such a damn fine human being. And uh, he's got so many fans, but the way that he's playing right now, he's really putting that tour on his back with back-to-back -back wins. Wyndham Championship, he'll take a break, and then it's FedEx Cup playoffs coming up. So, um that was nice, and as I said at the start, I just hope that we haven't completely bankrupted Coolbet with these golf picks as of late, um, so they'll still be there with us, and we will get to our Coolbet picks later on. But yes, you mentioned SummerSlam and Ric Flair. I'll, I, I'm look, I saw SummerSlam. I'll look forward to a Ric Flair report on yes. whatever the hell that was well, on the weekend. We'll talk about it. Also, shout out to uh, Taylor Pendrith finishing... Uh, Second there, tied for second. Speaking of cool bet, guys. Yes. And then also, it is the MLB trade deadline today. We had did have a monster blockbuster deal with Juan Soto being dealt for a large package of prospects to the Padres. Have the Jays done anything yet? They got reliever um, Anthony Bass 
and uh, another guy. Um, who was it? But we're kind of still waiting to see if they're going to do something else. I know the Mariners got uh, Castillo over the weekend. Yankees got who? Frankie Montas. So yeah, Zach Pop was the other guy from the Marlins and Anthony Bath. So all right, well, we'll, we'll uh, wait we're going to be. Yeah, we're going to hook up with Justin Dunk, Three Down Nation, talk some tour CFL. Hammer coming up a little later on. In the meantime, Reem, uh, maybe put together a little bit of a uh, who went where for the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We'll get to that. All right, just before we bring in Justin Dunk, uh, got to give a big shout out to our friends at Aikens Lake. We'll see you in a couple days. I am going to take a couple days off. Reem will be holding it down with some friends on Thursday and Friday. And... Uh, We'll be out hopefully catching tons of fish at um, the incredible Aikens Lake Fly-In Fishing Resort. Check them out online at Aikens Lake. Find out more online at AikensLake.com. Of course, the social media feeds at Aikens Lake. And uh, get planned and what could be an incredible trip for you and family or a great corporate event uh, next year. And you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. Uh, hey, if you're out ripping around the uh, ripping around the the lake on the weekend and caught a boathouse door that catches your eye, good chance it's Wallace and Wallace's. Listen, you know them as the fencing and overhead door specialists here in Winnipeg for like seventy plus years. Uh, but they also dominate the boathouse door biz. Um, and hey, you can choose between a steel or aluminum door, polycarbonate or glass panels, and a design for your perfect little piece of paradise. And with galvanized tracks and springs to protect against rust, you know their doors are built up to the challenges of life at the lake. They also do service. You can give them a call at 204-452-2700. But find out more or hit them up at wallacedoors.com or check out their showroom on Lawson Road. And our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market are having a great summer. And so are their customers enjoying great prices on best, Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And with barbecue season in full swing, you can get your barbecue on with delicious lean bison steaks or chicken, hot dogs, burgers, and great non-alcoholic drink options like sober carpenter beer and clever mocktails. Everything you need for a great summer day. And hey, if you can't make it down to one of the stores, visit their new fully shoppable website to buy online, schedule a delivery, or in-store pickup. Support local. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. And uh, i got to give a uh, shout-out to our pal Zach Schnitzer, of course, who uh, does the uh, bonfire bomber stuff with Darren Bombing. I saw Zach out in Calgary on the weekend. I think he was at a wedding, and he had just got a new suit from F Apparel. As we mentioned, you can get what you want inside it. Well, you open it up. It was Go Bombers Go, all on the inside of it. I've got a neat little wrinkle for the suit that I've got coming from F. We'll show that when it arrives. But if you are in the mix to uh, maybe spice up the formal wear in your department, get on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at $400, but much more than just suits. Great special right now in the summer. Three custom shirts for just $210. Uh, it really does need to be seen to be believed. Pop down and see them at 190 Smith Street on everything they can do for you or shop online or make an appointment online at app. That's ephapparel.com. All right, let's talk some CFL. Bombers are 8 no. They keep rolling, and uh, what a game we had between Winnipeg and Calgary, but there was more in the Canadian Football League to get to. Let's welcome in our good friend Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation. Dunker, what's up, man? How was your long weekend? 
Dude, it was a blast. I was at a cottage on Tobermory, or sorry, in Tobermory on Lake Huron, our family cottage, man. Lots of quality time with the nephews and my niece, so couldn't have gone any better, buddy. What about yours? Well, you know what? It was great, and we were just talking to Remo. We had a lot of good stuff happening around in the city. I went down to the ballpark, so the baseball team caught the soccer game on Saturday afternoon, and that was a nice little primer for the main event because I'll be honest, there was one thing that was circled above all on this long weekend, and it was Saturday night, 6 o'clock, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Calgary Stampeders rematch of that great game a couple weeks ago, and holy smokes, did it deliver. You know, regardless of the final end score, Justin, I've got to ask you, for someone that watches so much of the three-down game, was that the most well-played game on both sides of the football you've seen in a long time? I you know the, the no sacks, no penalties, no turnovers. I mean, this was just two great teams going in a heavyweight tilt that someone had to lose. It really was some crisp football, and I would maybe go back to that Stampeders Bombers game at IG Field that was pretty well played as well, but. To the point that you're making, I think it was a high-level game, and we saw Zach Caleros again come through in the clutch. And I was talking to some people around the league, and they said one of the things that he does so well is he has been very good in second and long situations. And we saw that again at McMahon Stadium against Calgary, just when the Stampeders felt like, you know, multiple times they could get that Bombers offense off the field. And we've seen it really over Caleros' entire time with the Blue Bombers that he'll hit a key strike, keep the chains moving, and he had four touchdowns in that game as well and a couple of key ones each to Nick Stemsky and Dalton Schoen as well. So he had a great day, and overall that's really what stood out for me is there was a lot of talk about Nathan Rourke, the Canadian quarterback with the BC Lions, and him being the front runner to win the MLP award. You know, it's early in the season, but still been some talk about it. And Claris came out and showed now. I'm still the dude. I'm the reigning MOP as well as the rest of that team. It was a great football game to watch. You know, um, we've talked a lot about the Bombers overall and how they've won these games. And listen, I mean, in this business and I guess the nature of fans, I mean, people will nitpick at, you know, and sort of look at some things to talk about. But the bottom line is, I mean, this is a results-based business and the one result that counts is winning and losing and the Bombers have done it consistently. The games have been different. They've done it in different ways. They did it in a game where they completed seven passes. They did it in a game where they went in and, um, you know, would dominate the running game early against the BC Lions, which opened it up. And to me, that was the blueprint for the game on Saturday. And that was the one thing that I don't think a lot of people had the confidence that the Bombers could do is run the football as it did. I mean, we had Patty Newfeld on. I mean, he said that they know what they're capable of. And it certainly was, I think, a challenge to them. But from Brady Oliveira's perspective, and Justin, I mean, you know what it's like being a former player to go in and be the guy that's taking over for a legend like Andrew Harris, who didn't retire, is still in the league on another team. There's a ton of pressure that comes along with that. And for him to put up that game against that team in that scenario, I'm not sure there could be something that bodes even better for the Bombers going into the second half of the season in the playoffs than a player like that having a breakout game the way he did against the quality of competition that Calgary brings, especially on defense. It has to boost Oliveira's confidence, certainly, after that game. And it took the running game a little while to get going, but here the Bombers are still 8-0. And as you mentioned, they found different ways when that's really what has stuck out to me again since Claris ended up in Winnipeg at that October deadline in 2019. 
various ways to win football games. And I feel like one of the underrated ways that they allow themselves to do that is field position. It's boring, but Mike O'Shea coming from a special teams coordinator background always seems to have this team in plus field position or at least digging out of it and flipping the field, making smart decisions that way. It's so critical in the Canadian game with 110 yard field and even the wider field as well. And I feel like the Bombers are usually ahead of the chains and, you can think about how many times have you seen the Bombers offense backed up against their own goalposts. It's really rare that that happens. And I think that's a lot of complimentary football, as they would say. But I think that's one of the reasons that they find ways to win games. They can do it in different ways. They've shown as well that they can have players, as you alluded to, like an Andrew Harris, move on and they fill it in. Is Brady Oliveira as good as Andrew Harris? No. But the game that he had going over 100 yards against that Stamps defense that is very stingy, veteran-laden, and talented, led by defensive coordinator Brent Monson, who I think is one of the underrated coaches in the league, was difficult to do. But you get that confidence for Oliveira going forward, increase his workload. You take pressure off Calaris at the quarterback position. And they did all of this in Calgary without two of their best players. Greg Ellingson sat on offense. Jackson Jeffcoat was not on the field on defense and it makes that win even more impressive you know it was and um i just think back to the bc game the way they established the run sort of, and it hadn't been going well they rushed for more yards in the first quarter than they did against toronto in the entire previous game on that monday and then to rush early i mean the bombers had 100 yards on the ground in the first half justin i mean when you're able to do that and speak to it from a quarterback's perspective, when you're able to get those yards on the ground, what that does for somebody like, like Zach Caleros to open up the field and have the confidence to take some more shots. And we saw it in spades in the second half with Dalton shown after Nick Dembski was the hero for the first t first two touchdowns. It's critical. It can open up windows just that little bit more that you need to fit the football in there. And especially on your run fakes, you draw the linebackers up and you make that throwing area much wider. Clarence has shown that he doesn't necessarily need it to be that big to put the football in there, but it helps your offense out a lot when the linebacker's first step is forward instead of just gaining ground and getting deeper in their pass drop. So it's critical. And the Bombers have stuck with the ground game. It's just the fact that Oliviera finally had the production with the higher number of carries. They've tried to run the football all year long. And I still think they have the best offensive line in the league, led by left tackle Stanley Bryan. And it was only a matter of time until Oliviera got in a rhythm with that group. I think that's underrated. Some people think you can just stick a running back in there and off to the races they go. But that's not the case, especially with an offensive line that's been together for a long time. And you know, it doesn't really change that much game to game. They've stayed fairly healthy as well. It takes time to develop that rhythm and understand where your cutback lanes are naturally going to be on the various run plays that that team dials up under offensive coordinator Buck Pierce. So in my mind, it's a great confidence booster and helps out your reigning MOP quarterback as well. Even if it's just a token run fake, the defenders know they have to pop up in case it is run against such a talented offensive line. Justin Dunk with us from Three Down Nation here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, there were other games. It wasn't just Calgary and Winnipeg, although we probably talk <laughs> about it all day. What were your takeaways from BC's win in Regina? Uh, a huge second half, but a real power outage for Saskatchewan after they got those first 17 points. Uh, where are both of those teams, in your opinion, leaving Week 7 or Week 8? 
The major momentum changer, I think, for both teams. The Riders head into their first bye week of the season at 4-4, four and four, and quarterback Cody Fajardo said it flat out, we're a middle-of-the-pack team that has got to figure it out. And I think that's where the Riders are. And considering they've lost three in a row going into that bye week, two against the Toronto Argonauts that I'm sure a lot of Riders fans penciled in as Ws going into those games, but they lose it, and then they're up what, 17-4, and the Lions rattle off 28 straight points unanswered to end the game. And Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke shows he can go into a hostile environment, isn't bothered by it, can fight the adversity, as I mentioned, was down 17-4 and brings his team back, completes over 80% of his passes, and just looks like this rising superstar in you know, arguably the most difficult stadium to play in the league. I think IG Field would rival them, and Bombers fans would have their hand up saying, yeah, we're pretty loud too, okay, guys? But in my mind, it changes the complexion of the West Division because now if you're BC, you feel like you're in the driver's seat to be in the playoffs and not necessarily be that crossover team, right? We haven't seen a crossover team go to the East and get to the Grey Cup, right? That's one of the things that's never happened in this league. And even though some people might think it's easier against the East Division, it hasn't happened. BC can understand that, hey, they're in competition there with the Calgary Stampeders to potentially get a home playoff game in the West semifinal right now. I think that's what they're looking at. If you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you got to get better. And I think that starts and ends with protecting Fajardo better. But they've played him, except for that game against the Argos, where he was in COVID protocol with that knee injury. And now they have nine of their last 10 games against West Division opponents in an uphill battle. So the Riders need to come back rested and recuperated. Certainly Fajardo's knee for Rough Riders fans must get better for them to have a chance to play in that great cup game at home. You know? yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, when you look at the landscape of the CFL right now, I mean, obviously things can change and they do have all those games against the West, but I mean, I joked last week that the Riders travel coordinator can start looking at hotels and, you know, one of the East spots for the crossover game, because I mean, I think we really have a clear top three in the West right now. And frankly, the Canadian football league, and they're all in that same division and the bombers with the win and the sweep against Calgary have given themselves such an opportunity to you know, maybe do what they did last year, be comfortably in first. Not to mention the three buys in the second half. I mean, it's sort of the fact that they've got all this done in the most important time of the year it really bodes well for the second half for the Bombers and completing the ultimate goal. But after Winnipeg, who gets your nod as the number two team in the West right now? Is it BC or is it the Calgary Stampeders? Oh. It's really tight. Right now, honestly, it would be the Stamps because they've played Winnipeg close both times. And in my mind, they were really one-score games. So I think that's the critical difference there is that the Blue Bombers went to BC Place and laid a little bit of a smackdown on the Lions, brought them back down to reality. Now, they're obviously going to play again this season. But for me, the Stamps are two right now, and we'll see when those teams go head-to-head. I believe they meet each other three times the rest of the way in the regular season. So I got, obviously the blue bombers are one in a tier of their own. I think right now, Stampeders are two and the lions are right there battling. They're three, but I think it'll be tight between those teams down the stretch. Um, what do we make of the East? Like who, <laughs> who's the best team in the East right now, Justin? I mean, who's that? Is, is, the, is there, a, or is these just, are these just four 
at best, mediocre teams fighting to see who's going to get a home playoff game in November. It kind of seems that way. I mean, it would have been easy to say before the Argos-Redblacks game that it's Toronto because they won the East last year. They hosted the East final. Yeah, they lost to the Tigercats, but that was quite a comeback that the Tigercats pulled off to get to that home great cup. But then the Argos go out and lose to the winless Redblacks. Now, I don't think Ottawa is as bad as some people might think just due to their record. You look at it and it's 0-6, but... Winnipeg Blue Bombers fans know how good the Red Blacks were. There was two one-score games there with Ottawa when Jeremiah Masoli was healthy, and the Red Blacks haven't been getting blown out. They've been close in all of their games except for that loss in Saskatchewan of the Rough Riders where I believe they lost by 15. So I don't necessarily think the Red Blacks are terrible, but the East is clearly a major step down from those top three teams in the West. I think Saskatchewan, you know, is in the mix there in terms of being not as quite dominant over the East Division because they have those two losses to the Argos. And then you have the Elks who have two wins, but those both came over East Division teams, Montreal and Hamilton. So in my mind, the East Division, at least for right now, until some team gets hot, is just going to be what would the word be in the Grey Cup? Like Anything can happen, and we've seen that with the Ottawa Red Blacks, who have gotten to a great couple couple times at the 500 mark, and then Henry Burris beats that dominant Calgary Stampeders team in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But I just have a hard time seeing one of these East Division teams competing for a great cup. Honestly, the only team that I could see doing it is the Argos. They played really well. I was at that touchdown Atlantic game live against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yes, Fajardo's knee was ailing him, but still... Toronto played really well in that game. And as long as McLeod Bethel-Thompson is protecting the football, I think he can keep them in games against the West Division teams. But then we got to remember, they went out to play at BC Place and got throttled 44-3 by the Lions. And they haven't even played the Stampeders yet. But somehow they played Winnipeg close at home. So I think the Argos are the one team that I would look at right now. And we still have a bunch of the season to go that could potentially be competitive, at least, with those West Division teams. Well, it, it, it certainly shapes up for an interesting rest of the way. We got two days for before another Bomber game, and it's going to be their ninth game of the season. They'll be finished their half of their schedule when they wake up on Friday morning. Um, where are the Montreal Alouettes at? And, like, this game, I was just talking with Nielsen on the lock shop, and this game opened up last night at 6 And I'll be honest, I took the Alouettes originally on this. I I still think the Bombers will win and will find a way to win because they always do. But I think this is a very difficult spot for the Bombers to go in considering the injuries they've had, the way they played, another short week, traveling out there. And at times the Bombers have been in close games. Um, Do you share that um, thought that, you know, this might be a tougher game than many people just assume because of how Winnipeg's rolled over teams so far this year? Definitely. It could be a letdown spot, especially going into Montreal with that flu that seems to pop up in that city so often. But the Blue Bombers are so focused. It's a good it's It's a Thursday game. Wednesday night's yeah. not as banging in Montreal than the weekend. <laughs> I'm sure you can still find a party if you wanted to, but <laughs> oh, you could. I agree that, <laughs> that probably helps out the Blue Bombers going there. But this team, you know, I thought honestly they were going to lose last week in Calgary. It seemed like a prime spot with Greg Ellingson, Jackson, Jeff Code out, as you mentioned, short week, traveling out to the Stampeders who were off a bye week, by the way. But I still see the Blue Bombers going into Montreal and getting a win because this Alouette's team is so up and down. They've been taking so many penalties 
is the key issue. And it doesn't seem like they have that energy that was a difference maker for them under Kahari Jones, in my mind, to get in the playoffs in 2019. And I think it's gone under Danny Machocha, who's right now the interim head coach and general manager. So I like the Bombers going in there. You know, I don't necessarily care who plays or not for Winnipeg. You know, the line, as you mentioned, it opens at six. You know, I might lean towards taking the Alouettes, but they haven't shown that they can compete, I think, with these West Division teams. And in my mind, until they show it, I'm not going to bet on them to cover a line at home against what is a superior team in the Blue Bombers. Well, J.D., I know you guys will be all over the Canadian football. Like, hey, just before we go, I want to ask you a quick question on uh, football four down south of the border. What uh, what do you make of this situation? Deshaun Watson gets a six-game suspension. Potentially, Roger Goodell might appeal and then rule himself on it. I imagine there is some faith-saving in all of this. Um, it's a very difficult thing, I think, for the adjudicators to rule on. The fact that, you know, you see what other players have been suspended for in the past and how many games have been given out. And a grand jury never, you know, brought charges against Deshaun Watson. But then again, you've also got 30-odd women that have made accusations against him. I mean, uh, is this going to be a six game and then they move on? Or is this just the start of uh, plenty of more back and forth between the league, the PA, and uh, ultimately Roger Goodell getting involved? Well, we'll see if it goes anymore, as you mentioned, with Goodell getting involved. But the tricky thing in these situations, as you mentioned, that key word, Huss, is accusations, right? And he's settled, what is it, 23 of the 24 civil lawsuits. So that means that they're not going to be able to talk or testify any of those women. And they've essentially been paid off. So I think that's where it makes it really difficult for Goodell if he does want to add games or a different adjudicator or somebody that's going to step in here because of that situation, right? The fact that it hasn't gone before a grand jury, the fact that there is no criminal charges. I understand people wanted to see a longer suspension. I was in that group as well. But when you look at the facts of it and the lawyer that he hired, I believe is Rusty Hardin, and the connections that he has and the money that Deshaun Watson has, we got to remember that plays a large role oftentimes when we talk about the law and how these things get dealt with. So as much as people wanted to see a bigger suspension, also you got to understand it from all of those perspectives as well. So that's why I think it's a tricky situation, one that's difficult to rule on. Certainly got glad that I don't have to, but yeah, you definitely want to see a longer suspension based on, again, accusations. Well, and then the other thing that just came out today in the last couple hours and there was all sorts of um, talk about potential tampering with the Miami Dolphins trying to get Tom Brady and, of course, the accusations of uh, their former head coach uh, that they were trying to duck games. Stephen Ross suspended now for a few uh, up until mid-October, but the Dolphins losing their first-round pick in 2023 and a third-rounder afterwards. And what's particularly key about this is this is a show-it season for Tua Tagliavoa. If Tua can't get it done, they're probably looking for a quarterback. It's a very rich quarterback class, and now the Dolphins do not have a pick. They don't have a pick, but Tom Brady will be a free agent, and they've already tampered with him. What I'm most <laughs> curious about in this situation is, is see us? <laughs> Does Tom Brady or his agent Don Yee get slapped with anything here? Because it takes two to tamper. 
right? So that's what I don't really understand is, yes, the Dolphins were the one seemingly initiating it based on Roger Goodell's statement. But that doesn't mean that down the line, Brady's not going to go to Miami, not going to be, what do you call it, my minority owner that they wanted him to be. That's what I have a hard time understanding. It's all in the Dolphins, and they want to keep this shiny, polished image on Tom Brady. I don't blame him, right? He's got the rings to prove it. But that, to me, is what was missing from this whole story, is that you can't tamper if the other people on the other side aren't willing. Well, you know what? You bring up a great point. And Tom Brady, already a previous offender with uh, the deflate gate, four-game suspension. I think six games make sense for Tom Brady. Uh, (laughs) I'm joking, folks. I'm joking. Um, Deshaun (laughs) should get more. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that. Fill us in on uh, what you and uh, Haji and the guys have coming up uh, this week, heading into Thursday's game with the Bombers in Montreal and the rest of the uh, CFL action in the week. Yeah, lots of content coming. Even though it's a Riders bye week, our guy out in Regina, Brendan McGuire, is going to have a piece on Mario Alford. And even though he had that dynamic return touchdown, Craig Dickinson wants to see him get more north-south. I'll have the latest TV ratings from last weekend's game. I'm waiting on the Red Blacks Argos Sunday number, Husk, because there had been some debate. Well, should the CFL potentially look at playing more Sunday games in the summer until the NFL schedule starts? Well, we'll get an idea how that number does and then of course john hodge our guy based in winnipeg where you are will have insider talk which is always full of juicy tidbits and then all the rest of the latest news on three donation.com buddy hey do uh do we have a tv number for the uh the bomber stamps game how was it oh let me just check real quick bear with me i do have it you would think i mean it's a challenging date because of course it is smack dab in the middle of a long weekend a lot of people might be off doing other things but you as, want to far, guess, as far as marquee matchups, uh, how about, uh, so I guess the, I'm going to go 530. Ooh, not bad. It's over though. 607, Ooh, 700. Nice. Over 600,000 viewers tuned in for that tilt. And I mean, you follow this weekly. That's a very strong number for TSN, especially Saturday of a long weekend, I'd suggest. It definitely is. And you look at, all the weeks leading into what was it, week eight before this game, there's only three games that went over 600,000 viewers. All three of those games involved the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Riders did go over. Actually, we had our first 700,000 game this week. That'll probably be the focus of my TV ratings piece. That Rough Riders Lions game was just over 700,000. But the fact the Blue Bombers cracked 600,000 for the first time, as you mentioned it, in a difficult spot where a lot of people might be out at the cottage or the cabin or away from their TVs, it's certainly impressive. It'll probably be a large average week for the CFL. Dunk, always appreciate you joining us, man. Have a great uh, week and uh, enjoy the action starting on Friday in Montreal. You bet, buddy. Thanks for having me on, Hus. Appreciate it. There he is, uh, Justin Dunk, at jdunk12 on Twitter. And make sure you're checking out the CFL content at Three Down Nation on a daily basis. All right, more on the Bombers and much more with Hammer coming up in just a second. Quick hydration break on WST. Brought to you by our friends at Culligan Water, the local water experts for over 65 years, family-owned here in the PEG. They've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, citywide water delivery services, and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Pop down and see them at 1200 Sergeant Avenue. You can hit them up at 694-5180 or check them out online at drinkculligan.com. 
I saw Greg at Royal Sports last night, and uh, woo, the gang has been busy. The weekend, and normally a long weekend, a little quieter retail-wise, not so this week, um, and tons of people popping in and picking up great things to do on the long weekend, moving a ton of disc golf product, tennis and more, shoes, fitness gear, and of course, bikes. Bikes and more bikes at the back of the store. Uh, and with hockey season just around the corner, getting a lot of young players ready for a new season, but at the same time with an expanded soccer, baseball, and softball section and more. And not to mention the best selection of merchandise from your favorite teams and leagues from all around the world. Pop down and see them at 750 Pemina Highway. And make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Um, big cheers to the gang over at Canadian clubs. Uh, a few CC and gingers being enjoyed at the Valor FC game on the weekend. Of course, Canadian club proud sponsor, the bombers and Valor FC and pouring everywhere at IG field. And of course, not just the good stuff at Canadian club, but the new drink of the summer, the ready to drink Canadian club at ginger ale, grab it at the park or pick it up at your favorite local beer store or Manitoba Liquor Marts, Canadian Club, official sponsor of the Bombers, and the CC and Ginger is here as the new drink of the summer. And hey, I got the breezy bend lid on today. Was out yesterday afternoon with some of my pals with a beautiful evening round before the Manitoba Derby. My God, Craig and his team have done such a phenomenal job. The course could not be in more mint shape. Of course, they got the big Canadian women's mid-am coming up next month or at the end of the month here at Breezy Bend. Um, and if you're thinking about an incredible spot for the golfing home for you and your family, think about one of Manitoba's top private clubs, Breezy Bend Golf and Country Club. Call our friend Corey Johnson about getting on the waiting list for next year or find out more on everything Breezy Ben has waiting for you online at breezyben.ca. All right, let's get Jeff Hamilton in here to chop it up. Bombers talking much more. Hammer, what's going on? How was your long weekend? My long weekend was awesome. I uh, I had the entire week off, so don't expect I'm going to know nothing about anything here. So <laughs> status quo for the show. Uh, but Just I spent patio the last- tips. Patio <laughs> tips and ratings. Patio tips and ratings, and uh, I spent the weekend in in Ottawa for a family reunion. So there's 36 Hamiltons in attendance. So it was clearly didn't get in the, get in a word edgewise, but back at it today, just uh, at the train station right now, about to head to Montreal, get ready for a, a big week nine matchup between the Bombers and Alouettes and trying to shake some of the cobwebs off and uh, get back to business. Well, the Bombers didn't have to shake off many cobwebs and get back to business. I mean, this was another difficult spot playing a team coming off a bye. I believe I Mitchell had went a 14-2 record coming off the bye. We know there was a little bit of probably revenge on the mind of the Stamps after the game two weeks ago. And the Bombers get it done again without Jackson Jeffcoat, without Greg Ellingson, arguably two of their most important players. Um, you sort of run out of superlatives to describe this team at times, Jeff. I mean... And, and the incredible is now almost commonplace for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are now 8-0 on the season. So understanding fully that you are going to ask me a question like this or similar to it, I had thought about it heading into it. And, and I, I find it hilarious because over the last couple of weeks, we've all kind of predicted the Bombers, not demise, but their first loss, right? Last week it was, okay, I mean, Edmonton's hungry. They're not a good team, but surely the you know the bombers won't be able to go on the road and beat them that wasn't nearly as 
questionable as as BC earlier in the season, as Nathan Rourke, you know, came out came out of the gates blazing with the BC Lions. Uh, you know, everyone thought that would be the first loss. Certainly, this past weekend, uh, you know, as you mentioned, has the stats off the buy, and stats are a funny thing, right? You can find any stats to make an argument one way or the other, and certainly when you look at Bo Levi Mitchell's and the Stanley Stanley the, the Calgary Stampeders, uh, you know, record after a buy. The Bombers being on the road again, uh, the tough match that they had with the Stampeders a couple weeks ago in Winnipeg, it all kind of lined up. The, the names that are missing, as you mentioned, Greg Ellingson um, out another week along with Jackson Jeffcoat. It just looked like this would be the week or that would be the week that the Bombers would fall. And sure enough, they find a way to get it done. Um, I think they were dogs by the by kickoff. So just another example of don't uh, don't don't uh, count out the champs. Plus one twenty on the money line. Thank then, you very much. Thank you very much. And then look at and look at this week. I mean, is this the week that happens? I don't know, but I, I will tell you this. I mean, what an impressive start to the Bombers. That's Doctor Obvious there. But when you break down the schedule, I mean, this will be Game Nine, obviously this week, and it'll be Road Game Six. And now I'm sure you've talked about this on your show. We've talked about this, but you know, get this done finish off that trifecta of, of road games on a positive note. And you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a second half that I'm not going to call easy because the Bombers won't treat it that way, but it will be as far as schedule go a lot easier than the first nine, that including three bye weeks. Uh, I think only three, it would be only three uh, away games and six at home. And we all know how dominant the Bombers are. So if, uh, if you're a Bombers fan, it's all coming up blue and gold right now, and you got to be excited about where your team is right now and, and, and really where they're headed here. Well, and especially, I mean, you, you mentioned, I mean, what we knew about the schedule in the second half compared to this grind that they've been in in the first half. And the win, I mean, regardless of how they did it, getting that win in Calgary and being 2-0 and against the Stamps and having the season series tiebreaker, I mean, absolutely monster when you think of how good Calgary is, the British Columbia Lions, the games that the Bombers will have playing going forward and knowing that a home game in Winnipeg where the Bombers simply don't lose for a trip to the Grey Cup um, is very much in the sights already, even at this point of the season after that win on Saturday. You know, it's safe for me and you to look at it that way. It's safe for the fans yeah, to look at Michael it that Shane, way. But I can him. guarantee yeah. you one thing that if you ask that question, as you mentioned, as you, you know, spoiler alert, Mike O'Shea doesn't live, uh, you know, half season by half season. He lives certainly, you know, game by game. And you could argue minute by minute in a lot of ways. So uh, certainly that second half. I mean, if you want to play games in the standings at this, this point, and we all know, we all know how, you know, the East has struggled this season. And I don't know if we brought it up on the show last week or not, but uh, how funny would it be the way things are settled? If you want to play that game, where you know where would we be? Uh, you know, if the playoffs started today, well, clearly Saskatchewan would be headed over to the East, and if they could do the impossible, as I heard you talking to Justin on the last segment, no one has even gotten to the Grey Cup in the crossover. But you know, let's play hypothetical even further and get the Riders there. Well, if the Bombers, if the Bombers are able to win their one home game, assuming that they, you know, obviously capture the the West, you're looking at a Bomber Riders Grey Cup with Bombers in the dressing room of Ryderville because it's the West's team this year. So it doesn't matter who's in the game. It's who's leading their 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 uh, division. And as I continue to say this, I feel like we did do this last week, but I don't even care because it's just the thought of it alone. You know, whether you're a fan, whether you're media, whether you're, you know, whatever – wherever you find yourself on the objective scale is a hilarious potential ending to what, you know, what's been a pretty solid season for Winnipeg and, and the rest of the league. Really? It, it is the juiciest, the juiciest possibility going forward. And 
I mean, we've always talked about this before. I mean, West teams that are clearly better than the East teams going across in the crossover and not even getting out of that first game off and never mind getting to the East final, but the potential of it being Winnipeg. And, and I did see it pointed out. The Bombers won the first preseason ever at Rosaic Field. The Bombers won the first regular season game ever at Mosaic Field. They won the first playoff game at Mosaic Field. And it would second only playoff be... game against yeah. was it, was it was there a second one there was a second one wasn't there I mean I think that's they got both playoff games there <laughs> and then of course the first Grey Cup there would be uh, would be pretty uh, pretty darn nice uh, nice as well um, yeah the case going in though I mean this is an incredibly short week it'll be another day of one day of practice and I mean part of me thinks that the Bombers have just been so workmanlike and professional they've done this repeatedly beating better teams than the Montreal Alouettes before. They should be ready to go. I can't help have this sinking feeling, though, that this is going to maybe be a little bit more like the Toronto game earlier this season than a couple of the games that they've run away with. I mean, I don't think this is an easy spot for the Bombers, and I don't expect them just to run up and down the field all night and uh, blow the Alouettes out. I think this could be close. Yeah, I think there's certainly potential for that. Uh, the Bombers have had tough games, uh, you know, in Montreal in the past. So if you look at those records, their, their record might favor them. But if I look back in the, the seven years I've covered this league, it hasn't been an easy place uh, to get out of. So, you know, there, there's always that potential. There is the potential of any given Sunday, in this case Thursday, obviously, that another team just shows up. And, and I think the most important factor in that conversation is you already have teams in the East playing like it's playoff football because <laughs> – the jockeying for position, if you look at what's played out through the first, you know, eight weeks here, is that there probably is only going to be two teams that are going to be coming out of the East. So it makes it even all the more important for for those victories to 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 you know to to happen. I mean, look at look at Ottawa. I mean, everyone's celebrating. Well, I didn't say everyone. I'm maybe I was just doing that in my head, but you know, big victory for Ottawa, who's now one and six, and they're not completely out of it. So the idea that you know, at this point in the season, you know, we always talk about how Labor Day is is kind of when the real season starts. Well, if you're in the East Division, you know, you can't, you, you got to start putting your foot on the gas. I was going to say, take it off the gas. You can't take it off the gas, but these some teams need to put it on uh, and figure it out. So at this point, as we head into to week nine, Montreal's desperate. And I mean, they're, they're an angry club. Just look at what's happened with the Alouettes this year. Ari Jones is gone. They're coming off a tough loss to to Hamilton. You know, Andrew or Andrew Trevor Harris is probably pretty pissed off from getting pulled from the last the last play of the game. Um, you know, that's that's a tough one to sit on for the Alouettes. So if you look at what they've done this season, um, it is a pretty challenging situation for them, and they they have to show up hungry every game. So it's the Bombers' job to you know it's not it's clearly not easy to win on the road. It's not easy to win week to week, as despite what the Bombers have been doing uh, this season. So they got to be prepared. The, and again, I just always go back to the fact that this team, if they're anything, it's prepared. And Mike, and that goes right down to Mike O'Shea. And, and it's really the mindset, right? It's the leadership. It's the coaching. It's all those things that these guys literally come into every week. It's, you know, you call it brainwash, Kool-Aid, all the positive, you know, connotations to those things that everyone's dialed in. Everyone's ready to go. And whether you have Greg Ellingson out or whether you have Jackson Jeffcoat out or Kyrie Wilson or Nick Dembski, who just returned last week, you know, you have all these, you know, significant players on the roster coming in and out of the lineup. And, and really there's no, there really is no drop off in play. All is a testament to preparation. But at this point in time, and I'm, you know, you're, you got to wonder with no bye weeks when some teams have already had a couple where this team's at, 
you know, mentally and physically when it comes to exhaustion. And um, I just say, if you can get through this, this one here, if you can get into Montreal and not, uh, not get pulled away from some of these scenes and sights of the, of the beautiful city, there's no reason why the bombers can't continue to, to roll here and, and, and complete or complete continue what's been a, you know, a pretty incredible season when you consider what they've done the last couple of years. You know, I, I'm interested in your perspective on the game on Saturday. Was that the most complete game that you've seen the Bombers play this year? And the reason I asked that, wise, like well, I, I, I mean, just as... in every, I mean, you had a running game that stepped up at a hundred yards early. I, I think we've seen how important that is for Zach Caleros. I mean, the two big games on the road this year, BC Calgary, they well, established yeah. the run early and it allowed Zach to have his best play of the entire season in the second half of both of those games. But on top of it all, no turnovers, hardly any penalties, no sacks allowed, I mean, I look at that game considering who they were playing, who they had in the lineup, who they were missing the lineup, and I have a hard time pointing out anything that the Bombers didn't do very well. And full credit to Calgary because they played a heck of a game too. Yeah, and like I think that might be when you look at the game last week against Calgary and you compare it to the, you know, the whatever week it was, three, four against BC. I think you can look at those two games and call them pretty comparable as far as complementary football, but maybe the edge really is not allowing any quarterback sacks, the discipline play after week, after week, after week of, you know, battling it out on the field without a break um, to not kind of lose your cool. We all know that that mental fatigue leads to, you know, maybe some pretty stupid decisions. I mean, that's a pretty clean, that's about as clean as it gets, obviously. So you know, certainly an impressive game. It seems like with this team, and again, I just go back to if you're a fan of this club, it's just another reason why, you know, why you got to be so happy with this organization is that when the, when it seems like when the cards are stacked against them, you have your gamers like, you know, Zach Claris, like, you know, Dalton Schoen's proving to be this year, like Willie Jefferson, like Adam Big Hill. I mean, go on and on and on, you know, with the names. And, you know, I won't, I won't, but you could. It seems like they it brings out the best of them. It seems like adversity brings out the best of them. 2019, two games on the road, right? To playoffs to get to the Great Cup, three in total. That adversity brought out the best in the Bombers. And, you know, you look at last year's Great Cup. I mean, they the adversity of being, a you know, a, a favorite in some ways. I mean, it, it, that teetered a little bit with it being in Hamilton, of course. But the way they handled it, the way they handle all their business, they're just a well-oiled machine. So, you know, we keep on, you know, I'll go back to one of my first comments. We keep going back to wondering, is this the week? Because it's not impossible. But realistically, the Bombers aren't going to go 18-0. and It's a very, very challenging thing. So you wonder, you know, when is it going to – when are they going to have an off game? Or where, when's the lull going to be? Or, or when's the margin of error going to be just small enough so that they don't squeeze out one of these victories, which you can look back at the schedule and say, okay, there are some games the Bombers may shouldn't have lost. Well, that was what you were saying about Calgary before the Bombers became the juggernaut of the CFL, and they weren't playing their best, and they were they were getting, you know, 1.2.3.4 point victory victories over teams that maybe they shouldn't have won so everything all all the things we've been talking about um you know all the qualities that make up a good team and make up what the bombers have, have shown over the last few years i'd say one of the greatest things is their ability to you know use the odds when the odds seem to be stacked against them whether it's whether it's channeling adversity or whether it's ignoring it completely, I'm not 100% sure which one because you can kind of look at both and, and make an argument for either. Um, regardless of what it is, this team's found a way to, to make it happen when it matters. Again, when the, when the odds are stacked against them, when they're supposed to win, when they're not supposed to win, 
you know, at this point, you know, I don't think this makes much sense to bet against the Bombers. Yeah, what, whatever whatever it is, they have set an incredible standard right now and just continue um, to get the job done. Winnipeg at Montreal Thursday night and then a rematch a week Thursday here in Winnipeg. And then the Bombers will finally get one of their first three buys. And, you know, when you look at the second half of the season, Jeff, I mean, there's some big games, the back-to-back with the Riders and some other games mixed in there. But having played their first 10 games essentially over the course of eight or nine weeks, and then to have that sort of break, rest, recovery, I mean, they couldn't have put themselves in a better situation to do it again. Jeff Hamilton's with us from the Winnipeg Free Press. Um, Not a lot to talk about on the Jets front this week. You want to break down the Leon Gavanka re-signing? I mean, uh, are you, have you heard anything? Are things pretty quiet right now uh, over the course of the past week? Because this is normally a kind of a quieter time, and I'm sure at the long weekend maybe some guys went away, but um, it's pretty clear that there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, I don't think for a second that the intention is to come back with the roster as is right now and um, think that they're going to have a bunch of different results. I mean, uh, have you heard anything right now, or is it kind of quiet? You know what? It's I, you hear a lot, right? Because it's easy to kind of go to these press conferences with Kevin Shevelday off and be you know exhausted with some of the answers and be upset with some of the you know the lack or the inaction, the lack of deals that's happening. And it's like okay, same story or whatever. But the reality is, is they field calls all the time. They feel you know it's not just the Jets going or Kevin Shevelday off going out and being like I'm interested in this guy. It's a lot of teams around the NHL coming to the Jets and saying you guys look like a bit of a mess. Would you want me to take this guy off your hands? Like what is what is your vision for your team? We're hearing you know quality guys being talked about either wanting to leave the organization or guys wanting to you know to to find a new place or just being rumored to be on the trading block so the the calls have come in it's just the jets and we've seen this over the last few years is we've seen this team not want to look like they've lost a trade and i think that i think that's getting exposed this season to a new level in that you know, I think the Jets are are strongly concerned about the PR. Sorry, guys, a little bit of a you know party back here, but um, I think the Jets are concerned with optics. I think they're concerned with bad headlines, and less. I, I still think the Jets are figuring out what their identity is, and that is a, a an unfortunate situation to be in in the early August, in the dog days of summer, where a lot of the actions already happened. A lot of the dance partners, us, have left the floor. So it's irrelevant to throw out what you might have heard or, 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 or toss around potential trades. The good news, I suppose, if you will, is that there's still time. I mean, the closer you get to September, the less likely deals are to be made. Unless there is like a toxic situation on a team, you don't usually deal them close to training camp. Guys want some clarity, you know, and not have a pit in their stomach all summer wondering where they might go, right? I mean, you want some, you just do that as a common courtesy as an organization. But that's still not there yet. I mean, there's still potential for things to happen, but I will say this, it's getting more and more to the point where this organization is running it back. And that to me is, is evidence of what I think is an absolutely brutal off season by this organization, just to stand still like, This isn't speculation anymore about the issues in the dressing room. This isn't speculation anymore about, 
you know, the need to change up the leadership core. Like this is hard facts. And we're still here sitting seemingly with a GM with his hand sitting on his hands, not doing anything to address this. So is this a situation where he's just not capable of finding a dance partner and swinging a trade? He's not capable of moving players out that need to be moved out or players to be brought in. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's some of it. But I mean, the reality is, is, I think if you go into next season, you know, quote unquote, running it back with a lot of the same people you had from what was, you know, the worst year of your, arguably the worst year of your organizations since it's come back in 2011 and it, you get same results, you better be damn sure that, that it was just an anomaly last year, that COVID was an issue, that some of the drama has been repaired. Because if you come back and you miss the playoffs again and you didn't do anything over the off season, I don't know. Like that seat's only getting hotter, but we'll, well see you what used, happens. You used an interesting uh, term earlier uh, about toxic situation. And I mean, this is just me speaking. This is not anyone else telling me this, but I mean, the fact of the matter that we've heard the reports of Blake Wheeler being shopped and that he was looking to go kind of tells me that they have, uh, they have thought that this is somewhat of a toxic situation. It would be better if all partners parties went to separate ways. My take on this right now, much like some of the other ones, is Shevel Dayoff has a certain could move players for what's on the table right now, but that it's not good enough for them. And that and you can talk about whether it's the public perception of what the trades are, which certainly I guess will have some inkling to it. But I mean, if the Jets think that they're going to make their team better, I think they go and do that. But the Wheeler situation, I mean, I've said this before for a few weeks. I mean, if you're trading Blake Wheeler, you're not doing it from a quote-unquote hockey perspective. What's coming back for Blake Wheeler is not going to be as good as what Blake Wheeler is on the ice. And I mean, these conversations, this topic is all about the leadership, the culture of the team, and everything outside it, um, as opposed to what happens when player X is, is on the ice. Which brings me to the question that if they realize that, like, that's not changing over the course of the summer. I mean, no amount of sit down interviews at the start of training camp is going to completely change the atmosphere, whether it be public or more importantly, internally. So, is this a matter of waiting this out to see if they can get more for it? And then, if it's not the case, sort of biting the bullet and making a trade involving Blake Wheeler that frankly doesn't look very good, but accomplishes the goal of opening up the room to some younger players to sort of, um, you know, have a little bit more oxygen that maybe was taken up by the captain for all those years. No, no. Like I, I don't think this is a situation where, you know, you go through the potential options, you go through shopping and all of a sudden you're like, okay, you know what? We tried to play our best hand. Now we'll take what we can get. I think that's not going to be the situation with the Winnipeg Jets. I think that they're, you know, garnering a bit of a reputation here of being tough, trade partners, you know, tough. And, and, and that's not all on, on the Jets. I mean, they need to be tough trade partners. They, they can't get fleeced. They can't give away a guy in Blake Wheeler who, yeah, he's, is, he a, is he a massive cap hit? Sure. Um, is he still a decent player? For sure. I mean, he's not worth probably his eight-point-something million dollars cap hit this season, but he is a quality player. So you don't want to get just get rid of him for nothing. But at the same time, you know, you need to identify what the future of your of your team looks like. And I think the biggest issue with with, you know, ownership and management right now is just deciding on who the next core is, because the next core isn't Blake Wheeler. The next core is it Mark Shifley. Is he going to be back in two years? Probably not. 
So if you're looking at a core, you're looking at guys like what would have been Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he's no longer in that situation. I, you know, I think you can make a strong argument, but you're looking at guys like Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor, Adam Lowry, Josh Morrissey, Cole Perfetti, and then you're trying to figure out who works around that. And there might be lean years here. We might be heading into a situation where it's going to be a couple tough years, and I know some fans won't like that. I know some fans will, but I just don't think the Jets are willing to give up on it. And I think that what what they're what they're looking at is how much promise they felt existed this time last year where it was being dubbed the summer of Chevy that he you know found these you know these these right pieces that all they need to shore up up was the defensive side of things they felt like they did that they haven't done anything since now i don't think that they weren't willing to just to be clear on this like you know when i said it seemingly looks like you know kevin shevelday is sitting on his hands i don't believe that to be the case i just think that they're again really in a tough situation of of fan apathy of of optics like look barry trotz was well teams like philadelphia and vegas said, thanks a lot for letting us know you don't plan on coaching this year. The Winnipeg Jets said, we understand what you're saying, but we want to give you more time. And that was, you know, obviously it was to get a good coach, but I would argue it was just as much to get a good headline and shift some of the narrative that existed over this, over the last year, and particularly this summer, like bring in, inject some positives here. And I think that from a business perspective, to tear things down or to make, you know, big changes and almost ensure Maybe not sure, but make it more difficult to punch your ticket back into the playoffs. I don't think they believe would go well with their season ticket holders. And so I think they're stuck in a situation where if we can't get what we want, let's keep what we have and pray that it pans out this year. And I think the problem is, is I think last year's lack of success wasn't the result of, you know, COVID restrictions or tough schedules Clearly, there was an issue there with Paul Maurice leaving th- during the season. So I'm not going to pretend like that didn't have an effect. But Paul Maurice left for a reason, right? I mean, he couldn't get those guys pulling in the same direction. And that wasn't, and, you know, and look at Paul Maurice. He said he was going to be gone at the end of the season. And so that just makes, that just, I think, strengthens my next point here is I think this has been a bit of a slow burn for years. And to think that somehow you know, guys going their separate ways and maybe a few of them working out together in certain cities or guys heading off to Europe and kind of getting out of Dodge and, and you know, wanting to come back a little bit hungrier for the season. Is that going to be enough to take this group over the top? Like, this team wasn't even close to the playoffs last season. I mean, we had that painful stretch down where it was like, we're going to keep fighting until we're mathematically eliminated. And that was excruciating for fans. And so how, how can you, you know, as a fan trust hanging into this season if nothing was done that all of a sudden the results are going to change and all of a sudden you know this team's going to click because what we, like what I said last week it's more than just talent to win the Stanley Cup and that's the goal here the goal isn't to win one series and feel good about yourselves or two series it's to make deep runs only one team wins the Stanley Cup so not everyone's going to fulfill their goal but it but to take an honest run at it and have a real chance and to be dubbed a contender you need to have more than just talent on the ice. You need to have a cohesiveness in the locker room that is, you know, that allows everyone to flourish from the top paid guy or the top level guy to the guy who's scraping to get in the lineup. And that just doesn't exist in Winnipeg. Well, exactly. And I think the biggest part of that is why we've been hearing about Blake Wheeler being on the block all year long. So if that doesn't happen and everyone knows why this is the Jets have been trying to do it, 
how do you bring that back? Like, what did the first couple days of training camp do it? I mean, we always sort of, you know, made jokes about the, uh, the, the, the training camp the, ever. What do the, you mean? The PR, the PR rehab interview that Blake had a couple weeks ago, where he talked about a year ago, I was the legendary leader and now I'm the problem. I mean, can you do that again? I mean, like we talk a lot about the optics and PR and whatnot. I mean, as I said before, a Blake Wheeler trade does not help this team on the ice as far as, I mean, you're losing a very productive player. But there's a reason why this has been talked about so much and why they've been trying to do it. So what happens if you don't do it, Jeff? Well, and that's the question. Can you do something? Does Rick Bonus, with his experience, have the ability to alter the same lineup positively? And would that? And, and can you go back with the same leadership group? You know, I know we spent a lot of time you know, talking about Blake Wheeler and his impact with this team. I don't think that the demise of this team over years is strictly on Blake Wheeler's shoulders, but he wears the seat. And if you're trying to change the leadership group, he unfortunately needs to be the first to go. So if you, but can you do that without actually saying goodbye? Can you convince Blake Wheeler, who has said those sound bites in the past, who has, you know, has, has, has kind of done, you know, some pretty, you know, woe is me interviews about his, you know, because he has been dealt with. He has faced a lot of criticism, you know, not just from our conversations on here, but, you know, in the pages, on the radio, over TV, with, you know, media locally, nationally. Um, you Probably know, internally, also, too, if they're trying to trade him, to be perfectly absolutely honest. In, like, absolutely. It doesn't matter what well, we say. In the sense that, I mean, but the thing is, is that what preceded that was ab was years of absolute respect for Blake Wheeler. And so everybody, you know, everybody has their time. And, and, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Blake Wheeler's done a lot of great things for this organization. He helped them get to a point, but I think that point has reached its max, you know, and, and, and it's gone beyond what, what he's capable of doing. And it just gets to a point where you need to shift the culture in the locker room. You just need to shift the voices. You need to shift you know, you need to give ownership to, you know, greater ownership to other players. I mean, it's tough to compare the CFL with the with the with the at the NHL and particularly with the Bombers with the Jets. But look what happens when you have a leadership core that everyone, you know, everyone respects. And I think Blake's leadership abilities was not, you know, go in there and have heart to hearts with all these guys and 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 reach them on an emotional level and have that respect. It was Look at me every single day. Look at me compete at practice every single day. Look at me compete in every game. Look at me prepare, care about hockey, hold people to the same standards. And it just doesn't work here. His way doesn't work. And it's not because he's a bad person. It's not because he's a bad player. He's just not a fit for this team anymore. And he's part of an older group of guys that just don't understand the younger guys and never will. You know, it's a classic. Well, the younger of, guys have been used as excuses. Well, you, well, a number you can't of times. teach you can't teach old dogs new tricks, and I think that falls that falls nicely into Wheeler's leadership ability at this point in his career. Like you're not the guys are just get the team's just getting younger, so the the things that annoy you are just going to be more abundant. You need a better voice in that locker room, a better leadership core that can bring everybody together and hold everybody in the, accountable in a way. That is much different than what's being done. So right if he's back, if they don't get a trade done, and most of these guys, I mean, it's very small additions or changes, and we get to training camp, and now it's Rick Bonus's show. Is Blake Wheeler the captain in game number one of 82? Not my choice. I don't know. I mean, I guess you can say, how can he be? Um, 
should he be? I mean, those will be certainly be the questions, right? I mean, at one point, the easiest in time, thing is always to do nothing, which is course. just maintain the status quo. But the easy is rarely the right way. I so, agree. I absolutely so, agree. So to me, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the conversations have. I don't know if between bone. I mean, when bonus talked early on, it was looked like it was a couple, you know, red text messages, but unanswered. <laughs> so, like, I mean, clearly that's changed. And you put a lot, you know, you can't put any stock into that. He said he had I a mean, good chat with him when he came on the exactly. show a couple of weeks he came ago. On the show so, and 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 he also said on to you that that he was quote unquote ready to go. Is can you picture Blake Wheeler taking like a ready to go seat? as in leave Winnipeg or like, ready to go as like, in like or, start right. the season I mean, here? Sure. But I mean, <laughs> I just mean in you know in 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 general speaking, like what's the odds of him getting to a situation where it's like, okay, can I you know or or, or would want to be willing to take a step back? I mean, we we've seen in the past. I mean, he's gone very defensive about his ability to score goals and his position in the lineup. I mean, how often? Have you know people in the analytics world, or just fans, or or people in general, just have mocked up their lineups and have Blake Wheeler contributing on a third line? Well, I don't think Blake Wheeler is open to being a third line player. Is he open to being a backseat player as far as the leadership goes? I guess time will tell, but I think that would be a tough pill to swallow considering everything he's done for this organization up to this point. Yeah, you know I, I'm. You know, and people that have been watching this show all through last year. I mean, I've said a number of times when we were talking about these key decisions at the end of the season, and a lot of it circled and centered out of our conversations about Mark Shifley and the fact that I thought he was as good as gone at the end of the season, the way the season went with what he was saying, that I did say I thought that Blake Wheeler could be part of the solution here going forward if he could take a step back. I mean, I'm less confident of that now than I was before. And I think it's partly things that we've heard throughout the year, partly what the team has been obviously trying to do. And I don't think they do that if they believe that he could be part of that. So um, uh, it's going to make for a a very interesting few days uh, while leading into training camp. And certainly if camp does start as is, um, you guys can figure out whether it's Wheeler first or Shifley or Dubois stepping in front of the media, and it'll be uh, it'll be quite a big day. Hey, just listen before we go. Um, we talked about it last week. Things have quieted down a little bit, but a very interesting comment, uh, uh, you know, coming out of the Hockey Canada aftermath. You got the World Juniors starting next week. Um, Scott Smith under intense pressure to step down. I mean, I think it's all but a done deal that we do see a change of leadership in Hockey Canada, potentially all the way to the board level. Um, the uh, the uh, the young woman that made the accusations against the players in 2018 um, has done an interview with the Globe and Mail. We've seen that today. I mean, just what are you, I know you're very much uh, in tune to this story, Jeff. Uh, um, what's the latest on this, and how much are we going to be hearing about this when you know these top young under twenty players get ready to play that World Juniors that was supposed to be last uh, last Christmas coming up in the next couple of weeks in Edmonton? I'm still a bit flabbergasted that Canada's in it, to be honest with you. Um, just because I think you're welcoming a bit of a nightmare situation, an everyday focus on on Hockey Canada. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of pressure on TSN too, but I mean, the latest is everything you just said there. I mean, we. 
you know, the, the young woman that's come forward and, and, you know, shared her feelings about it. There was a, a polygraph test that she took. Now I know that isn't, you know, some people say it's junk science or whatever, but it'd be, I'm not going to say it'd be worse necessarily, but she passed that. Um, she's added, you know, she's, she won't be talking to hockey Canada or I think the representatives of, of the, uh, the, the defendants, um, in the sense that she's already offered additional information beyond what she's already offered. That's been extensive, uh, you know, evidence of text messages and communications and, and videos and all these things and added, you know, her own, you know, added to her own testimony, all those things that are sworn affidavits. So, you know, she's done a lot. I know she, you know, on that topic, she talked about not, you know, she doesn't, love the fact that it's become national news that this is a you know a thing a country is you know sports fans and and people like and uh general public has taken a, a great interest in you know this is something that you know something that's that's not easy on on the person right it's not easy at all and so you know getting to hockey canada yeah scott smith needs to go i, I don't know if i agree with the whole board going um, because of the way I the way I've seen it and read it and view it is that you know a lot of that those conversations were viewed in a vacuum on, of the chair of the board and the and the executive. So you know the the board wasn't called together for an emergency meeting after this. They didn't vote on certain things. So they were kind of left out of the dark. And I'd also mention this: the board, although not complete, has done some d- good work in recent years. They've added women to the board. They've added you know, people of color to the board. They've added people with resumes that go beyond sports, right? So there, there, there has been, you know, movement in there. So I, you know, I guess my hope is that they don't just do a clean sweep of the board of governors per se, but I think they need to do a clean sweep of the executive, the people who have been around, the Scott Smiths, who've been around for decades, who have, you know, have been part of this mess and really, in my opinion, are, are looking for two things to maintain power over what is a very important, you know, part of our and game of, of our country and an opportunity to, you know, fix their errors. I don't think they've earned the opportunity to make right by this. I think they need to go and they need to go soon. And I think this, I think that's inevitable. I think we're finally seeing not just public pressure, we're seeing political pressure, we're seeing financial pressure from sponsors we're seeing people that are working together to create change that'll be quite frank with you a year ago seemed impossible and certainly for decades was impossible it was they were untouchable nobody knew where hockey canada got all their money what they did with all their money like they were a hidden organization they weren't they 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 went by their the own beat the beat of their own drum and made their own decisions in vacuums and and weren't accountable did not have to show all their expenses and where things going now they have to do that and it looks gross so to see these guys think that they're the right people to move this ship forward is it's cringy to just even listen to let alone believe or suggest and so at this point I think we're just headed to you know we're going to get past this World Junior tournament I know the IHF thinks it's important for other teams to get those development we've already seen COVID strip a lot of players of development opportunities and scouting opportunities and you can make the argument obviously that that the kids are that that are in it this year are not you know, they're, you know, they're just kids or they're just, you know, they're just people who have, you know, haven't been part of this or been swept up in it. Personally, I think it's going to be a tough week for Canada. I think it's going to be a tough situation for Hockey Canada, obviously. And it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is. But by the end of summer, if, if there isn't new leadership in Hockey Canada, well, I don't know what's going to happen, to be quite honest. No, no doubt. Um, uh, you're going to be uh, in Montreal for the game on uh, on Thursday? 
Yeah, they're calling me out right now to get in, get close to the to the train. So heading Excellent. from Ottawa to Montreal right now and be there this evening and ready for tomorrow or I guess Thursday's game. Perfect. Well, I'm going to be away for a couple of days at the end of the week. Maybe we'll get Remo to hit you up and uh, you can help him out for a few minutes at some point over Thursday or Friday, depending on what your schedule is and uh, pop in. But great conversation as always, Jeff. Have a safe ride in the lap of luxury on that train and uh, enjoy Montreal. I'm sure you might be able to find a good time or two leading into the game. Just another wicked day in my kick-ass life, Huss. Thanks for having me on, and shout out to the commenters. Let's, uh, you know, let's let's see if this bomber run can't continue to be magical. It is something special to witness, and uh, I'm happy for everyone in Winnipeg that we, you know, as we shift to Jets and a little bit of disappointing talk. It, at least there's one team carrying their weight and more, and something to be excited about. Well, uh, we still have a couple weeks of sunshine. No doubt. Thanks so much, Jeff. There it is, Jeff Hamilton at Jeff K Hamilton on Twitter, and make sure to check out his work covering the Blue Bombers and the world of sports in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. And as always, when we talk bombers on the show, we do it for our friends at Princess Auto, who will be welcoming bomber fans back to the Princess Auto tailgate party a week Thursday when the bombers finally return. And we'll just be getting going because the bombers do play six of their final nine games at home at uh, at IG Field. Of course, the Princess Auto tailgate party gets going at uh, 5.30, two hours before game time. Discounted beers, hot dogs, drinks, DJ finesse spinning, prizes from the Princess Auto crew, definitely the place to be. And of course, Princess Auto is also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Uh, if you're thinking about a new vehicle, you know where to go. Head on down to our friends at Not Auto Corp at Waverly and McGilvery and check out everything they've got on the lot or talk to a not expert about the car of your dreams. Why not get into that car at a great price with the help of the Not team? Uh, they've got a bunch of Teslas on the lot, too, if you're thinking about going electric. They've also got a great Tesla experience program teach you everything you need to know when you're considering moving from a traditional vehicle to an electric vehicle. It's all there at Not Auto Corp, Waverly and McGilvery, or check them out online at not.ca. Um, another great summer weekend. Another great weekend made a little bit better with uh, the great taste of Little Brown Jug. I had a few 1919s on the weekend, always my favorite. But with so many great new summer beers, you might want to go and check out the Summer variety, summer Good Times Variety Pack right now, available at Little Brown Jug. Your best place to do that is pop down and see him at William Avenue in the Exchange. But you can also pick it up at your favorite local beer store or at Liquor Marts as well, or check them out online at littlebrownjug.ca. And by the way, speaking of Little Brown Jug, here's a little teaser, folks. I said I'd let you know this week. Mark your calendars for Thursday, September 1st. The first ever Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia Night. I'll be hosting it. We're going to put together a great program for a couple hours at Little Brown Jug on September 1st. So right now, talk to your crew. Get ready. We'll let you know how to reserve a table for that event, but mark it down September 1st at Little Brown Jug. Really looking forward to that. And Remus mentioned it earlier, but a huge thanks from uh, WST to Big Nick and Nikki over at the Nick and Nikki DQ Group for that wonderful cake for Evan's third birthday. 
Um, there's nothing better than a DQ ice cream cake for any sort of party, especially during the summer. And they can hook you up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. And while you're there, check out the amazing new Blizzard flavors, the delicious Stack Burgers, and more. And of course, DQ Nicky 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 DQ have four locations: DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And the Winnipeg locations are available on your favorite delivery app as well. And hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba if you would like to make an order in advance to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. All right, great stuff with Hammer and Justin Dunk. Let's get Remus back in here uh, because we've got a lot to get to. Um, Remo, I knew the Bombers were going to dominate the conversations today, and frankly, I am just fine with that. Not a lot going on over the last few days for the Winnipeg Jets as we still wait to see how things shape out, uh, shake up, but the bottom line is 8-0 is 8-0, and after a game like that Saturday night against the Calgary Stampeders, the Bombers should dominate the conversations on WST today. Yeah, absolutely, and I remember a couple years ago, Hess, when... You know, the Bombers, they'd always, they were the team falling short against Calgary. You know, they played so well. You'd be like, oh, they played Cal- Calgary great and, um, you know, just lose. And this year, 8 0, back to back Great Cup champions, looking like favorites for the three peat. I don't know if we're sitting here appreciating how much, like, how great this Bomber success is. You know, you remember watching Calgary think, oh, I wish the Bombers could win like them. And, they're the model franchise in the CFL right now, and you know, it doesn't matter who's out or it doesn't matter if you're playing well or having a bad game. They're finding ways to win over and over again, and and it's always different different ways. It could be the defense, it could be the offense, special teams, everything. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't take it for granted. I find myself, and I did it again on Saturday, having a couple beers with the fellas after the game, going just basically in awe of what they have put together. And hey, maybe if you just moved to Winnipeg a couple years ago and started following the team, you sort of get used to it. But I mean, for people like myself and you that are from here that have followed this team for decades and have been through all of the lows and the Joe Mack era and just how far away success seemed at that time, to be where we are right now with the quarterback and Zach Caleros that just wins every damn game, and a defense that is continually raising the bar and rewriting the standard for great, consistent CFL defenses. And then to have players, new players like Ellingson and now Dalton Schoen come in and show out the way they are. And for a game like Brady Oliveira had, I mean, you just, you cannot take it for granted. It is, this is the most special team in the most special period, I think, in my lifetime of Blue Bomber football. Um, and even if you were old enough to be around to even sort of remember the success they had in the 80s, it's very different than right now. I mean, the Bombers are clearly the class of the league, and everyone else has been chasing them. Uh, they've been doing it for two seasons. No one's caught them and at 8-0 right now heading into Montreal. They are the standard right now in the Canadian Football League. And that game on Saturday, Remo, was an absolute exclamation point on why Winnipeg has been the team for the better part of two plus years in the CFL. Yeah, I look at the CFL standings and you look at all the teams and it's true that the Bombers are up here, like above the screen. And then there's a large gap. And then I think then Calgary and BC are in there. They're they're pretty close. And like another gap. And then I think Saskatchewan is Saskatchewan in there. And then... 
Saskatchewan and the East. And then, like, is Edmonton at the very bottom? I'm not sure, but there's, like, there's there's the Bombers, a large gap, then the two BC Calgary, then another gap, and then you figure out who the worst is. Like, you can argue if Toronto is, like, any good with their three wins. I mean, Toronto made the playoffs last year, too, and I think they won their division. We were kind of, no one really thought they were, they were any good. Um, but, you know, you look at their, they're first in the East. Look at their point differential. It's like minus 35. <laughs> like there is not one team in the East with a positive. And I guess you were always going to have these conversations now. Like, why are we even having divisions? Well, like, why is it this way? Is it because we've always done, like, let's put the best teams in the playoffs. Like, why should an East team have a home playoff game? When Saskatchewan is going to be have a better record than all of them, it, it's stupid. The it, funny thing is, is that this has been—I mean, I don't know how many times we had this conversation on twelve ninety, but I mean, it dates back years. Forever. Yes, years. I mean, the East. Well, I mean, we'd have to look. I don't have this on top off the top of my head, but how many times in the last ten years has a Western team crossed over into the East? And East teams never crossed over into the West. I don't believe. And it seems to happen almost every year. And this was the year. I mean, I remember we were going through the win totals for the teams in the East Dream, and every team was in between eight and a half and nine and a half. We thought, wow, this is going to be great. We should have some real parity, uh, but a real competitive East and, you know, no terrible teams. Well, here we are. The Bombers are eight known. Ottawa just won their first game of the season. And yet they're still right in the thick of things in the Eastern Division. So, I'm sort of with you. The fact that we've got, uh, you know, it would be so easy to have an even schedule with a home and away game against every team in the league. Um, and then the two extra games to be rotated home and away amongst the teams that are traditionally in your division or potentially amongst some rivals or just basically evenly distribute them every year. So it's a completely even schedule. It makes too much sense. I mean, I do know that the history of the Canadian Football League is the best team in the East going against team, uh, the best team in the West. But with the fact that the crossover's been in, I see no reason why you wouldn't want to get the best two teams in the Grey Cup. And, I mean, the last few years, I mean, I think, well, listen, the last few years, Hamilton was a heck of a team, and they were favored in the first Grey Cup and had that lead late. But after watching what's happened so far in the Canadian Football League, if you told me, hey, we're going to make this tweak and it could be Winnipeg and Calgary or Winnipeg and BC in the Grey Cup, I would take that. Uh, but as of right now, I think your biggest and best game of the season is going to be the West Final, which is hopefully right here in Winnipeg at IG Field. Yeah, and I'm I'm for fairness. And, you know, if the team with the crossover, like the crossover has a better record than the, all of the East, let them have... A home playoff game. Like, what are, what are we doing? Why are we having divisions? There. No, let's does, let's change that next year. We don't want to help the Riders too much. Uh, right. But, uh, so, no. <laughs> well, I am looking forward to the Bombers have three games against the Riders. You got the Banjo Bowl, the Labor Day Classic, and then there's another one at the end of September. So we'll see how it goes. But I think a lot of people are starting to realize Cody Fajardo, not the guy. Um, and what's the record here? Yeah. Four and four, so yeah, they are like middle middle of the pack team. But uh, we will we'll get a good look at them um, next month.
Yeah, well, first things first, we're going to get a good look at the Montreal Alouettes with back-to-back games in Montreal on Thursday and then back in Winnipeg. We finally get the Bomber Bomber home game for the first time since that thriller between the Bombers and the Stamps on July 15th, August 11th. And as we mentioned, Princess Auto tailgate party before the game just outside uh, the zone. All right, there's a bunch of other things I do want to get to uh, before we get yeah. to Rick the Flair's cool last bet lines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we will get to that in a minute. But, uh, and I mentioned this briefly with Jeff, but for folks that just popped on, um, huge story right now in the National Football League. And uh, Deshaun Watson gets a six game suspension from the independent arbitrator. Uh, it was a female uh, judge who I, I think was maybe selected because of. Um, well, the fact that she wouldn't be thought of as having any preconceived notions to, you know, uh, maybe towards the de- the defendant in this case, Deshaun Watson, but did point out that has not been charged with any crimes. As Jeff pointed out, most of the things have been settled and for all intents and purposes paid off. Um, but a six-game suspension has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It will be interesting to see whether the National Football League appeals this and then Roger Goodell has to rule on it, which is the rules by the CBA, and whether the suspension is increased. Um, Bottom line is that Deshaun Watson could and probably will be playing at some point this year, but it's going to be Jacoby Brissett starting for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, at some point, I mean, Cleveland has put, what, $230 million in Deshaun Watson's hands and traded three first-round picks. They've essentially mortgaged the franchise for this guy, and uh, it hasn't been as smooth as I'm sure they'd expected when they made that move. The stuff that he was doing, allegedly, getting all these different massage therapists and, like, whatever, you know, being accused over and over again of sexual harassment and sexual assault. So disgusting. Such a terrible human being, uh, allegedly. And for the, what, the six games, um, it just doesn't seem right. And I know they're going with, like, what the rule book says. But I don't think anyone thinks that this guy should have only six games. And it seems like, you know, for all this, he's going to get off with, Little to to no punishment. The Browns are going to be fine. Um, it's pretty. The allegations, pretty. Um, Should it matter pre- that it's gone to two grand juries and he hasn't been charged yet? I mean, the one thing I'll say, and yeah. I'm sort of on your side. I mean, the stuff that he's alleged to have done, and like he's paid off or it's made the- settlements with 23 people. It's pretty clear something happened. But at the same time, I mean, we're so anxious to cancel everybody for lack of a better term right now. Um, you know, when it goes through to a judge and they make their ruling based on precedent, history, and all the evidence at hand, and then it's not good enough. I mean, I I, I have a hard time wondering what the right thing to do go forward, but I, at the same time, I agree that it is somewhat absurd, especially the fact that the way they did his contract, his regular, his salary is only a million bucks this year. So he's basically not going to lose hardly any money as opposed to if his actual salary, not the entire signing bonus, was chipped away and he lost six of 17 games. Yeah, it just seems all around. If you're if you're good, really good at football, Huss, like, and you're at a star, you know, premium position like quarterback, you know, the rules don't apply to you. And I think people are kind of 
it's disappointing that he would only get six games. But you know, it, I guess they didn't have you know any reason to do more based on what the past rules have been. So I think it is. He doesn't mean you can't think he's a you know gross human being, but I don't know he's going to be playing in the NFL. And look, if it's if he means you know I can start him in fantasy, I'll 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 start him too. If you know he's low priced on DFS <laughs> yeah, and he's value. You know, you, you, you're, listen, I think he should be suspended. That being said, if he's got a good price in DraftKings, he's yeah. on my club. <laughs> if he's in a high team total, um, <laughs> like I'm, you know, I like like trying to win money. So I know you're joking, but unfortunately, yeah. that sort of is the is the truth, and well, that is part of the reason why the NFL is the engine that you know can take all these hits and doesn't even miss a beat. I mean, when Deshaun Watson's not there. People will be talking about everything else when he's back. It'll be all about him and what happens with the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, despite despite themselves, despite Roger Goodell and all the things that he's done while he's been running, it just seems like there's absolutely nothing can stop the National Football League. And, uh, you know, despite this is somewhat of, a, you know, a distasteful story, I think, for everyone to be talking about and have to deal with over and over again especially for the people, and I feel sorry for Browns fans, especially female Browns fans, to, oh, this is the savior of your team coming in there? Um, you're pretty much right in the fact that, you know, talk to us about what how he's doing in fantasy in a few weeks, and uh, for the vast majority of football fans, um, as sad as this is, people are going to forget this quite quickly, I'd imagine. Although he'll always he'll always uh, be, uh, be holding this one over his head. I don't know, yeah, it's... I mean, there's just the sheer number of, I think it's allegations. It's unheard of. Um, I feel horrible for the women who had to, you know, you think you're doing some treatment on a guy and does what he's alleged to have doing. It's, it's horrifying, horrifying. It is. Um, and I mean, and I guess it did it. I mean, there's been reports. There's upwards of 60 women that are handled that, handle that's a poor way of uh, putting it that have dealt with um these sort of things from deshaun watson so as i said glad i'm not a browns fan and i sort of do hope that roger goodell steps in and adds something onto this i think it would uh, certainly be the right thing to do uh but i'm just not sure that that in fact happens so uh, that's the latest there and then the other story uh remo how about the miami dolphins losing their number one pick next year and a third round pick the following for the actions, the tampering actions of Stephen Ross, the owner. Um, losing a first round pick for a National Football League team is can absolutely be devastating, especially in a team like Miami. And I know Tua Non and all the Tua supporters think that he's going to have this big breakout year. If he doesn't, though, the Miami Dolphins are going to need a quarterback and to lose that pick in next year's draft could be even more devastating as we hit with uh, Jay Dunk earlier. Yeah, that I mean that's huge for losing a first round pick. And the other thing that's coming out of this report, uh, what Brian Flores again his lawsuit, he was saying Stephen Ross, what offered him a hundred thousand dollars per game loss. per loss, and the NFL investigating determined that that one hundred thousand dollar offer was he was joking when he made that, so that that didn't factor in. I guess as if he didn't offer him like a, a contract. For the hundred thousand dollars per loss, then well, it was just a joke because it wasn't a. They said it wasn't a real offer, so um, pretty pretty. That is also seems wrong in terms of teams. You, know, you see it in sports teams not 
not only not trying to win, but an owner advocating to his coach to lose or jokingly advocate to lose. Yeah, no, it is a bit of, uh, well, as I said, uh, brutal for the Dolphins. And my pal Feinberg said today on Twitter, if this happens to me, I would rather my owner walk the proverbial plank and have to leave the team than lose my first-round pick next year. Those things are too important. So we'll see what that means for uh, for the Dolphins uh, going forward. Of course, we'll get much more into the NFL probably starting next week with some training camp reports. Uh, and we'll certainly uh, bring in some fantasy experts as well to help you all get ready for your drafts coming up. Um, all right, we mentioned, we touched on quickly in our Breezy Ben golf report earlier, but Fino, back-to-back. Gotta love you, Tony. Thank you. Three in a row in the lock shop. Our cool bet guy, Taylor Pendrith, tied for second. Um, but, Remo, did you see some of the pictures from the Live tournament on the weekend by any chance? Live? No, I kind of only saw the opening day stuff with uh, with Trump. and We were talked about it on here. Well, Trump was there all weekend long. Tucker Carlson was there doing a nice sit-down some, interview with Greg Norman. individuals. At, at one point yesterday, in the, in the one box, was Trump a laughing and smiling Tucker Carlson along with the infamous Marjorie Taylor Green. And oh. I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether this is a calculated move by the live folks or whether their given F level is just so low or whether the, those ties are so strong. Um, and again, this isn't really a political take, um, however, when the politics are so divided right now, um, I would imagine if you were a new entity, it might be a good idea to try to, you know, not play either side or look like you're entirely in bed with one. Um, but that certainly is the case through the live. And I mean, yeah, the, the pro-am I think got a lot more attention than anything else. I believe Henrik Stenson won on the weekend, uh, but it was Tony Finau getting it done on the PGA tour. And um, I don't know, the, the the pictures of that was just absolutely um, one of those ones where you go, oh, really, this is how you're introducing this new golf venture to the people of the United States, eh? It's a calculated uh, calculated move, that's for sure. And um, well, I guess if you were ever going to go on a hard right stance in any sport, golf probably is the one to do it at. Yeah, we, there was also the heckler who yelled at Phil Mickelson, um, do it for the, what, Saudi royal family? Yeah. And um, also I think people... those guys are called the good liars, if I'm not mistaken. They had they also put up some funny posters in and around the course. Bottom line is for Liv, they were giving away tickets for $1. Like, you could just go on to StubHub or whatever and essentially get free tickets. And... It is a challenge, though, with the shotgun start, the way they have it, and the players all around the course. I mean, even, I guess, if they have great crowds, people will be so much spread out because they're not just at the one spot. And uh, anyways, it looks sparsely attended. And uh, once the tournament gets going, despite the fact that they do have some big names, I'm not really too sure how much hey, people are caring about all that. People are talking in chat. Uh, Greg Norman did say on the weekend that Tiger Woods received an offer between uh 700 and 800 million to join and tiger turned it down so i mean the money that's being thrown out here is uh so so ridiculous we use the saying unlimited cash unlimited flow mm -hmm. uh the saudi investment fund legitimately has unlimited reserves and uh, i mean 
you know, nobody can compete with that. So I don't know what's going to happen with golf going forward into next year. I mean, I do think the FedEx Cup playoffs are going to happen. I mean, we talked about Cam Smith, who won the Open Championship. He's got exemptions for the next five years. There's reportedly over $100 million on the table for him to leave. Um, there is the President's Cup coming up, and I think the Aussies that are still there would love to play and be a part of that team. But once that's finished, don't be surprised if hopefully Cam Smith. I really hope that doesn't happen. I love Smith and would love to see him continue on tour. Uh, but next year, uh, this story is just really getting started. And I know that uh, has ran, uh, rubbed some people the wrong, wrong way. Lowry's right hand. Watch them live. The kind of music, the kind of man they play music and tell the guys are hungover or don't care half the time. Oh, Lowry's right hand. Ride with me, baby. My main man, Tony Fino, is red hot. Won 450 off in the last two weekends. Yes, back to back on big tone the last two weeks. What a great, it was a very exciting lock shop earlier today. Check that out today earlier if you missed it. All right, let's get to some cool bet lines. We'll save your wrestling takes for the end of the program on Ric Flair's final match, Remo. Uh, the CFL numbers are out. Bombers opened at six-point favorites. When we did the lock shop earlier today, they were back to five. They were down to five, and it's now five and a half. And full disclosure, I did take the Alouettes plus six. I fully expect the Bombers to win the game, but I just have a feeling that this is going to be a little closer than maybe some people expect. Uh, Calgary opened at four. They're now five-point favorites in Ottawa against the Red Blacks. The Ticat, or sorry, the Argos yesterday opened as two-and-a-half-point favorites. It's now down to two against Hamilton. And the opening line was BC 12-point favorites at home. It's now down to 11-and-a-half. I don't know. I held my nose and took the 12 points with Edmonton, uh, Reem. That's a... But then I got reminded by Dusty about how embarrassed the Elks got in game number one. I think they're coming around, but man, BC is still a wagon. I mean, we've kind of, the Bombers gave them that one loss. We have seen them. Other than that, though, they have been flawless so far this year. And another great win with a, uh, just a complete turnaround of the game in that second half, not allowing Saskatchewan on the board. Yeah, a lot of people saying Nathan Rourke, he's human. He's starting to throw interceptions. The bom- you know, the Bombers it totally exposed him. Now the league's catching up. Uh, not the case. Uh, he went uh, pretty nuts with the touchdown passes and the yards this week to Saskatchewan. So Nathan Rourke, he's back, and I think he was named one of the, the CFL came with their top performers um, just during our show. I think Zach was one of them. I got to find it, find the find the list. But uh, uh, BC, I think they're pretty good. So you know they had the big win. And minus 11.5 at home against Edmonton. I don't know. I think I would take the Bombers minus 5. Although, like, you keep thinking, which one are they going to lose? And they keep they keep winning. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Zach Caleros was one of the top performers of the week, as was... It was all QBs. Nathan Rourke, Zach Caleros, and Caleb Evans getting Ottawa their first win of the year. Uh, and Caleb Evans, he had 286 and was 82.8% passing, two touchdowns. So I know a lot of people here are happy for Paul Apolise to finally get a win. That was a pretty miserable way to start the season for them, losing Masoli and losing the first six of the, of the year. Yeah, good for Ottawa. You know, they had played some close games, couldn't win. Uh, finally figured out Caleb Evans, he's not bad. Uh, he's good running the, running the ball. Uh, maybe we'd see Arbuckle at times, but 
but no, we didn't. So there was Ottawa. Uh, they were getting on the board uh, on the weekend, and I still don't think they're they're very good. But you know, neither is anyone else in the East, so they're still in it. You got it. Uh, the other thing we hit on the lock shop was, of course, the golf picks. I've hit three in a row, and between Dusty and I, five of six. So get to the lock shop for that. All the odds are up at Cool Bet for the Wyndham Championship as well. And, of course, a full slate of Major League Baseball games tonight uh, available for you. If you've never played a Cool Bet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks on your first deposit. All right, Remo. Uh, we both hit the Derby winner. What a great day it was yesterday for WST. Uh, where are you going tonight? I've been quite busy. I don't have all my picks lately, so I may have to pull the trigger on uh, on a few of uh, on a few of these horses. Yeah, I was so pumped yesterday when we tweeted our picks, and uh, they were correct. I feel a lot of pressure uh, doing this. Uh, I'm going to give you my selections now, Assiniboy Downs. Watch it on on the YouTube channel. Bet on HPI bet. Okay, race one. I saw this horse name. I was like, I'm very in. Party at my place. One word. Let's go. That's an e- That was an easy <laughs> bet for me. $5 to win. That was an easy one. Um, race two. I'm going with some former ones for me. Interesting Times is one for me before. We are living in quite interesting times. How could I not pick that horse? I'm picking interesting times to win. And race three, I'm doing a Quinella 1-3 Enhanced Finance we've had before. And the other one is Wits Gato. That's a Quinella 1-3, um, hmm. you know, first and second place, any order. And race four, the win, <clears throat> call the cops to win. We always bet on call the cops. So there you go. We do. All right. Uh, okay, I'm going to go in race number two. I am taking Wits 10-10 to win. Number four, bit of a longer shot. Race number three, we're going to do a little triactor box here. Enhanced Finance, Wits Gato, and uh, we'll throw in Zig. Yes. For, for our buddy Zig for Cassie. And then race number four, we're going to go a 2-4 Quinella, call the cops, and a high rise in the peg. And then race number five, we'll put a little sprinkle on uh, Heroes on Easter. Heroes on Easter, number one in uh, the red one. So we'll throw those down. I'll uh, tweak out the numbers, make sure we get it in for five. And uh, you would have made a little bit on me last night, but we were both positive, so that was nice on a big derby day. And congratulations again to everyone that came out and everyone that bet on a record-setting day at Assiniboia Downs. All right, Remo, there was some wrestling on the weekend. We will finish off with this. SummerSlam was Saturday night. I PVR'd it, got home after the game and doing whatever I had. I luckily wasn't on Twitter, so I didn't really know what happened. Brock Lesnar brought out a massive uh, piece of farm machinery and at one point literally lifted up the ring. It was quite a spectacle, uh, but the Usos and Roman Reigns threw a bunch of stuff on him and he did not win the last man standing match. Pat McAfee beat Baron Corbin. McAfee's such, he's so good at this. I mean, he's an incredible announcer and that was, I guess, his third match in the WWE he is something to behold and, uh, you know, pulled off some incredible moves. 
And I know there's a lot of people that can't stand Logan Paul, but this guy is an incredible athlete. He went up against The Miz. If you haven't seen some of the highlights, go on social media and check it out. Looked like the guy had been in the ring for 10 years. Um, really, really spectacular stuff. Overall, pretty fun card. There's a little mech going into it. My favorite guy, Riddle, wasn't in. Uh, but overall, pretty entertaining. But that was only one of the two big wrestling events. I cannot believe that Ric Flair actually had another match at 70-whatever years old. 73. But apparently he did. It was called Ric Flair's last match, and you actually watched it? Yeah. It was, uh, personally, 73 years old. It was kind of cool how they did it. Um, if anyone's a wrestling fan, they did it under the old Jim Crockett promotions banner, kind of like a joint you know, everyone was involved. Who Mick Foley and Undertaker were front row. Tony Schiavone's doing play-by-play, <laughs> and I mean, he's seventy-three. There's only so much you can do. It was a tag team match. Jeff Jarrett was on the other team. Who's fifty-five? I thought he looked pretty good, but Ric Flair at one point uh, got cut. He was bleeding from his head. He faked a heart attack. <laughs> and then uh, I gouged his opponent. Dirtiest player in the game. Yeah. Um, with the guitar, they went to hit him with the guitar. Obviously, he moved. I didn't think he was going to take anything too crazy. He did get suplexed at one point, Huss, and it was pretty, ridic pretty ridiculous. And by the end of the match, he was so tired and out of gas, he's like laying on the ground on the apron of the ring, like putting his hand out, trying to get tagged in, <laughs> and gave pretty rough figure four for the for the pin win. Obviously, he was going to win his last who is he? Match. Who is his partner? Uh, I I don't even know who these guys were. Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually don't what even do you know. Mean? You watched it. It was against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. But who oh, was some guy with? Andrade? Oh, Andrade. Okay, yeah. You know that guy? I don't of know. Course. These guys. Of course. I don't know. You so. well, well, you. Should, I mean, if you're gonna come in and give a review of something on the show, Look, maybe I'm, know who was in it. How about that? I'm not there. Show some any... respect to the art of sports entertainment. I wasn't there uh, for anyone else in the match. I was there to see Ric Flair. Oh, <laughs> Derek Show. Look, Ric Derek Flair has says, rice paper, rice paper thin skin. No kidding. After all these years. Yeah, there you go. This uh, was his son-in-law. Okay, well, I'm I'm learning a lot about this card that had a lot of sons of yeah. Andrade wrestlers. married uh, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte. Oh, Flair. Okay. And then uh, who else? Who else is on this card? Brian Pillman Jr., David Boy Smith Jr., like Arn Anderson's son is on the card. Um, a lot of second generation yeah. superstars. More, more. Oh, everyone says you just body slam me. The chat saying, <laughs> "Oh, oh, oh." oh. Uh, not over the top rope though. That was just. It was just hey. a. That was a reverse knife edge in WST speak. Oh, whatever. Uh, look, I'm here just to watch the uh, was watch the match. I watched it. It's, I only like wrestling if media. there's guys over 70 wrestling. I'm yeah, not into anyone under 70 getting in the ring. Well, that's how you get my attention. I did get I did get tickets uh, to the Eagles show here in Winnipeg. I mean, those guys are over 70, so you're not wrong. <laughs> Hey, uh, before we go, um, Jay's in action tonight. Lots of action. Of course, Thursday night is uh, time for Bombers and Alouettes. Pop by your local Boston Pizza. Check out the Happy Hour menu and the great summer menu, including the carnitas, pizzas, and tacos. 
And of course, you can always check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. And as we mentioned, Assiniboia Downs, we did the picks, but live racing is tonight, 7.30, tomorrow, 7.30. And if you can't make it out, like so many others from around the world, open up an account to hpibet.com and watch along with us at AS Downs and the Assiniboia Downs YouTube channel. And uh, we did mention Cool Bet, of course, WST is your promo code if you haven't uh, worked there before. Um, so what, are we going to be back to a bit more of a normal schedule, uh, Marat, tomorrow, Reem? Um, you know, I got to text these guys and figure it out. Everyone's off. Like, Mike's going to Minneapolis. And who else? Ken is on his golf tour. Ken, yeah, Ken will be Ken will be all over the place. So we'll have to figure it out. Well, we'll work it out. And uh, we'll have a few of the guys sitting in for some segments with Remo, who'll be driving the bus for a couple days on Thursday yeah. and Friday when I'm out at Aikens. And I'm um, also going to catch up with Morris Lukowicz, and uh, we'll have that for you at some point this week. He's got a really neat uh, Rocks and Jocks golf tournament that's coming to Winnipeg later on. We'll tell you about that in the next couple days. And, of course, game day, Thursday. Uh, and I guess that means tomorrow we'll be bombing in Walby. Um, following us here on WST. We'll bump people over there on the YouTube channel after the program. But uh, it's going to do it for us. Hope you had a great weekend. Lots of fun things to talk about today. Nothing more fun, though, than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers being 8-0. and They look to go 9-0 and on Thursday night. We'll have much more on the Blue and Gold tomorrow as they head to Montreal. And uh, we'll be back. Uh, if there's any hockey news, we'll have it for you. Of course, World Juniors coming up. Oh, by the way, I know we mentioned uh, Leon Gavanka, uh, but unfortunately, no record McGrory on Team USA. Um, he'll look to be a member of next year's team, Reem. But uh, I guess at this point, next week, if it's uh, quite uh, quite dud, uh, quite quiet, um, you know, we will get into a little junior talk. Oh, yes, and the reminder: Valor tickets. All right, who's with us right now? Listen, for though this is perfect that we did this right at the end of the show because our most loyal folks that are with us here can get in on the wheel of winners all right folks if you want to go to the valor game uh tickets tomorrow and we've got some tickets for sunday so if you what remo can we do a um exclamation mark tickets yeah just do just do tomorrow we'll do the sunday one another time yeah okay i'll send them to you and you can do those on you thursday. send them to me and you we'll, can do I'll thursday or friday all right, folks. So, uh, oh no, the raffle has been canceled. We're about to starting a uh, yeah. And by the way, Darren uh, and the gang are doing a bonfire midweek today, seven thirty. That'll be fun for bomber fans. So make sure to check that out on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Um, and I'll be I will be back tomorrow, but we'll get some stuff ready so uh, so Remo's not uh, up a up a uh, stream without a paddle, if you will. For Thursday, uh, Thursday and Friday. So as soon as this thing gets opened, uh, we will just have you put in exclamation mark tickets, and uh, and yeah, we've got some great uh, great valor seats to to give away. Very very fun game on Saturday. The lads deserved a much much better uh, better fate. All right, Earl's in there. Derek, Patrolman, Pete. Yeah, exclamation mark tickets, gang. Uh, we've got a couple pairs for you. XX Revolution. So we'll spin it twice and we'll just give a, a pair to our first two winners. And then stay tuned. Maybe on uh, Thursday when I'm away, Remu will have uh, a couple pairs of tickets for the games on Saturday 
to go. And uh, if you haven't been to a game, get in the raffle. Get out there and check it out. It's been uh, it's been great. All right, exclamation mark tickets, everybody, if you want in. Uh, and yes, Kabilis is right. The Gold Eyes are on the road. They just finished a, a great six-game homestand, winning both series. And in fact, while we get the tickets in here, let's do a quick uh, little standings result to see where the Gold Eyes are at after uh, that nice win yesterday. We've got news. We've got stats. And the standings are as follows right now in the American Association. The Gold Eyes, 9-1 in their last 10 and winners of five straight. They're now... 12 games above 500 at 40 and 28. And they are five back of the Kansas City Monarchs who are coming to Winnipeg in a couple of weeks. Chicago Dogs, who uh, the, the Fish just beat in the previous series, two out of three, are on top of the uh, other division at 43 and 25. Uh, but the Gold Eyes are the hottest team in the league right now. Uh, they are just back of Kansas City and Fargo. And uh, if they can keep things rolling on the road like they had at home, we could be uh, talking about a great, great pennant race in the American Association. All right, last call for Valor tickets, folks. Uh, exclamation mark tickets if you want to get in on it. We've got a couple pairs to give away. Uh, Remus, if you want to close it off, let's uh, finish it off with the Wheel of Winners and uh, get some people ready for this Valor game tomorrow night. Sure, let me... Uh... Close it off. We got a couple entrants, but uh, hold on one sec. Doing this quickly as we wind it down. Got to get that that podcast exactly we going. The folks that have been waiting for the audio version. Yes, I know there's some mentions of Brad Lambert. Lambert will be playing for Finland. Maybe Finland will be our team on WST at the World Juniors. Although. I think this would have been the case anyways, regardless of everything that had been happening with Hockey Canada over the last little while. Um, it takes me a while to get into the World Juniors at Christmas in the middle of August. Um, let's just say I don't think I'll be uh, living and breathing every minute of the tournament right now. But, um, I mean, listen, for the kids that are playing in it, I hope it goes off well. I hope it's a great experience. Uh, just a lot of bit of a dark cloud around that event and um, everything to do with the world juniors right now for some pretty sad reasons. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you there. I'm, I always find it hard to get excited for the round robin games where like Canada's scoring 10 on, you know, some other country. Um, but I do get, I do enjoy, you know, if there's a good final or, or playoff games or Canada, US, but I'm not Sunday, I'm, Sunday night after the CFL game. I was over at a local spot near my place and we had TSN on and it was the Canada Switzerland game from like the under 18s or something. Yeah, it's like Ivan Halenka or Gretzky Halenka. Yeah. Halenka Gretzky. Like, I mean, it was six nothing early. It was nine or 10 zip. I mean, primetime TV it just goes to show there wasn't much else on right now. I don't, I'm not sure that it's really. A tough time of year uh, for live sports content. I would agree. All right. We got the wheel. Yeah, it is right here. All right, everyone. Thanks for entering. We're going to spin it twice. We've got two pairs of tickets for tomorrow's Valor FC game. Uh, and then we'll have another couple pairs to give away on Thursday for the game on the weekend. All right, Remo, fire it up. First pair of tickets goes to who? 
He has spun. And our winner is Larry. Larry TSG. Right on, Larry. Larry, just fire us a quick email at uh, winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com and um, let us know uh, if that's the email you want us to send them to and uh, we will transfer them to you. All right, Larry's got a pair. Who is next? Who is our second winner, Reem? Winner number two is... Da, 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 B. Henderson! All right, Larry, TSG, and B. Henderson are winners for today. Great stuff. And, uh, hey, you stick around. You ride with us right till the end. Had a better chance of winning because we did lose a few people beforehand. So uh, uh, both you guys, just send us an email, winnipegsportstalk at gmail.com. I'll send you those tickets tonight and enjoy the game tomorrow. Here to see if uh, your friends over at Winnipeg uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, it's going to do for us. Don't forget, check that new episode of The Lock Shop, folks, if you want to get to it before CFL and the golf gets going this week. And uh, Remo will be back at it tomorrow. I'll have one more show this week. And then uh, Michael and the boys will be taking you through Thursday and Friday heading into the weekend. And, of course, big bomber game on Thursday night. Thanks again to all the sponsors for being part of the uh, this program and making it happen. And thanks to everyone that joined us today, both on YouTube and on the podcast. Folks, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.